0: Introducing, for the very first time ever, one of Britain's loudest rock bands, Spinal Tap. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tenting Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time. And today is a very special episode. Not only am I covering a movie that, I mean, I've been wanting to do this movie for forever. I've owned it on DVD since, uh, God, I don't even know. I can't remember if I got it at Mega Replay or if I got it when Hollywood Video went out of business. But I've owned this movie for forever. It's leered at me from my shelf for years considered one of like the most classic mockumentaries of all time so i'm excited to finally tackle it but i'm even more excited to have a brand new guest on the show for the very first time kevin isaacson from i like ike films is joining me on the show also the host of the cinematic heartland podcast which i had the joy of guesting on once and it was awesome and we got to talk and i was like i gotta have him on my show uh welcome to the show hello how's it going jake (laughs) <laughs> it's going <laughs> uh, <laughs> like we talked about before we started recording i'm a little bit under the weather uh you're dealing with a persistent cough but nothing's going to stop it, us from talking about this is spinal tap except uh, for all the stuff i'm going to talk about up top where i talk about your filmmaking stuff and movies you like and then we'll talk about this is spinal tap but <laughs> well the show must go on show must yeah, I go love, on. i love your show <laughs> just um when i have filmmaking people on my show i tend to get a little lost in the weeds, interviewing them about their filmmaking stuff. So I just love that you have a show that's just dedicated to that. Uh, And, and, you know, you're a filmmaker yourself. I don't know. Do you feel like doing that show? Have you, has it helped like networking wise and stuff like that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We've had quite a few guests on the show that, uh, that we've worked with and will be working with. We have a feature film coming up that we're going to start shooting in August and quite a few of the cast I met through the show or uh, somehow related to the show. We've had a, a lot of them on our show. So I know uh, talking a lot about the podcast right now, Cinematic Heartland, but we are actually on hiatus right now right.
0: For, for a little while. But there's, there's a, uh, I mean, if people haven't heard of it before, there's a billion episodes for them to <laughs> dive into. Yeah, so. they, they
1: can get caught up <laughs> while we're on hiatus. Uh, we decided to take a little bit of time because we do have a lot going on, Michael Godfrey and myself, and I oh, like it films. You know. it's, and.
0: There, there are times when I'm like, should I like put this podcast on hold? Because it is like, there's days where I'm like, well, I should probably be working on this script, but I'm uh, trying to edit this three hour long podcast and get it out by, in fact, as soon as we're done recording this, I have to finish editing a podcast because it's due tomorrow. So I, I, I respect, I respect the just official hiatus. I think that's the move. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I
1: know the feeling we love doing the podcast and love championing other oh, yeah. filmmakers but it's, we have to remember we're filmmakers too. And we, we have projects we want to work on and yet to dedicate the time those need, we just had to put it on a hiatus for a little while. So do
0: you have any, like, do you, do you have like a set of questions that you guys normally go with? Or do you kind of just wing, wing it on the episodes? Cause I'm always winging it. I'm like, I don't know where to start with what to ask you, but I'm like, you're a, seasoned professional interviewing filmmakers. <laughs> I mean, maybe I should just get a tip from you and, and turn the tables on you.
1: <laughs> well, we do have, uh, we uh, formulate a set of questions. Uh, there are some basic ones in there that we use with all the guests. You know, tell us a little bit about about yourself, how you got into filmmaking. We go, you know, the what are your three favorite films? Uh, but then each guest is unique as well. Uh, we usually ask for a little bio from the guest and we can kind of build off of that But we do have a list of questions that we go through, and then we kind of veer from that. You know, one question will lead into another, and we'll go off on tangents. But, yeah, we have, you know, if we get to a spot where it's like, okay, what do we talk about next? We still have that list of questions we can go back to to keep the show moving. (laughs) I love a good tangent.
0: (laughs) I guess it's worth mentioning uh, the Heartland part of the the name of the podcast. You're Iowa-based, right?
1: Yep, we are in Iowa, so...
0: So we got a a Midwest connection here, which I I think, I mean, generally a lot of my guests are from the Midwest because they're mostly people that I've connected with. I've I've had people from all over for sure, but I mean, it's always fun to have sort of a Midwest represent type thing. You know, how have you found, I assume these days with how digital everything's gone and how accessible filmmaking's been, it's probably better than ever to be a filmmaker in the Midwest, I would assume. I mean, I've... I guess I can't compare it to if I was alive in the seventies, what it would be like to try to make a movie in Indiana. But I have to imagine today is the best time to be doing. It.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, it, it is. Um, Mike and I talk about it. Cause back in the eighties, you know, when we were teenagers and all the film equipment was so expensive, you know, so it's, you couldn't just pick up a camera and go out and shoot unless I had a super eight camera, but I mean, it had no sound and, you could, <laughs> you're limited on how much you could shoot. And, um, but nowadays you can shoot on your phone, um, you can pick up, I picked up a black magic camera for, you know, pretty good price and yeah. Yeah. And they shoot beautifully. I mean, yeah. So it's a lot easier. We always talk about the good thing is that it's a lot easier to make films. The bad thing is it's a lot easier to make films because yes, of course. Now, a lot of it, people do it and you have to kind of build up through the noise and everything. So,
0: yeah, it's, uh, it's it's a double edged sword of yeah. of it being amazing that we can all tell our stories, but it's a lot harder to get seen amongst the noise, like you said. Uh, but it's 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 pretty cool. And and shout out, honestly, shout out to Blackmagic. I uh oh, yeah. I I've loved those kinds of cameras for a long time, and just recently I've been able to step into the realm with those. And I for for uh, budget conscious filmmakers, like it's it's not inexpensive, but I think. It's about as much bang for your buck as you can get from any kind of camera, honestly. It's Oh, yeah. I can already tell in some of the stuff that I've been doing. It's a massive improvement. And even on... I've been on a couple bigger budget films in the last year. I, I was on a six-figure budget film, and we used the Blackmagic 6K to shoot that film. I mean, it's that good of a camera, honestly. So. Yeah. And the fact that it's so accessible. I mean, and if you don't want to buy one, you can rent one for like a hundred bucks a weekend or something like oh, yeah. that. It's, it's yeah. pretty wild.
1: <laughs> I noticed it as soon as I got into post, the first uh, short film I used it on. It was so much easier to color grade and, yeah, yeah. and really get that out of the, the frame. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I love like the camera.
0: I was using a GH5 primarily for all my previous stuff. And you can squeeze some really good quality out of that. But I did feel like I was fighting the footage sometimes to make it look good and with black magic it's like how do you want it to look baby i got you and you're just like all right this is i'm enjoying this (laughs) it's like you want to change what the iso was in post here you go like oh what (laughs) okay (laughs) we're super in the weeds in terms of like filmmaking lingo but hey uh but so uh, what's your what was your journey with filmmaking have you been doing it since you were young and like a teenager obviously if you were clocking how expensive equipment was back in the eighties has been <laughs> something of an interest for, for you for a while. Huh?
1: Yeah. Uh, when I first saw star Wars back in 1977, I was like eight years old. I can do this. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I watched it. I was just starstruck, you know, watching the film and I would love to do it. And of course everything seemed so far out of price range and living in Iowa. It was, you know, that pie in the sky type dream. Um, You know, I tried doing the writing for a while and just kind of, I kind of moved over to the music side, which is kind of appropriate for the film we're talking about today. I got into music for years and years and years, uh, got back into screenwriting in 2008 and started trying to do it more seriously. And then by 2017, I was getting frustrated because I was sending all these scripts out. Nothing was getting made. I wasn't getting anywhere. And a friend of mine said, just shoot the thing yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so I grabbed one of my short films, grabbed some buddies, and and we put the film Oliver Short Shout together. Shout out to that friend, and, great yeah. advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Travis Calvert. Uh, he's uh, he's out in uh, Nevada, and he was he's a filmmaker as well. And yeah, I was just kind of venting to him, and he gave me that advice, which kind of let, kicked off my actual filmmaking career. So
0: yeah, it's I I'm uh, privileged to be part of certain screenwriting groups and indiana filmmaking groups and stuff like that and a lot of young people will get on there and be like how do you get started and i I just always want to be like you kind of just you just do it you just go (laughs) do it and then eventually you do it enough that people go this guy's kind of not terrible and then you just you just have to do it like uh, there's no there's really no easy way in you don't just magically because some people are like uh, they'll get on the, the screenwriting thing and be like, how do I get a Hollywood agent? It's like, well, if any of us knew that we wouldn't be trolling the screenwriting <laughs> forums right now. Uh, but you know, it's like, like, I, sometimes I feel really lucky. I feel like I stumbled ass backwards into all the connections I've made. But then I, I try to not be so down on myself. Cause I'm like, no, ever since you were in college, you've been like making shit and helping people make shit and making connections. Like it's, been a long journey actually you do have to put the time and the work in like every one i've ever talked to that's a so-called overnight success there's at least a decade's worth of oh no i was like in the pits like slogging away and and now i made it and people have (laughs) just now heard of me but trust me i've been doing stuff for like 15 years it's 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 simultaneously depressing but also encouraging because People have a really pie in the sky dream of this myth of an overnight success, but that's not really how it goes. But it also means that if you just work hard, that's kind of what you have to do. (laughs) Like It's not just, it's not just all about luck. It's some somewhat about luck, but it's also about, you know, putting in the work and anybody can put in the work if they actually care. So it is kind of encouraging. (laughs) Yeah,
1: And you just, you just got to do it. Uh, Jump in. You'll learn, you'll learn to swim. Um, Do you
0: um you know speaking of the music and speaking of like making stuff yourself
1: yeah
0: I find it interesting it's like you're a big Star Wars guy uh but do you like low budget stuff too because I find as like an indie filmmaker myself I'm very drawn to holy shit I could have not talent wise I could have made that movie but like budget and and like scale wise I'm like holy shit I could have made that and that was a good movie like and that will add point that's like a big plus in the movie's favor for me when I see something like that where it's like the big crazy stuff like the star wars movies i'm just kind of like that's fun but i don't dream right now about making that kind of stuff because of like the level i'm at i'm kind of curious how you feel about that
1: oh i i love the low budget stuff too um and if you really dig into and look at it, the very first star wars film the way they shot it was really more of a low budget way Mm -hmm. Uh, because they were learning how to do all this stuff and they were trying to come up with these solutions for how do we make this look like a good sci-fi yeah. film. And, you know, I've watched all the behind the scenes where they're trying to make the, the laser gun sounds because you couldn't go out back then and just pull a stock sound off the internet.
0: Yeah. We hadn't you know? invented laser guns
2: yet. <laughs> yeah,
1: so. <laughs> so, so they had to, okay, how, how do we make this sound? Well, you know, they're out there. The guy has a monkey wrench and he's out there banging on the guidelines for the power poles and, yeah. And they recorded those and kind of mixed some together and EQ'd them a little bit and there's your lasers. You know, they were finding out how to do that and uh, kind yeah, of pioneering it's like, What does what does
0: a dinosaur sound like? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can't just yeah. go record a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah.
1: And I mean Star Wars, a lot of those, you know, spaceships there were models and you know, oh, you yeah. just film in particular ways. And it's like, man, you could you can do that, you know, film a model and make mm-hmm. it look bigger than it is and so yeah, I mean the later Star Wars. Yeah, I mean films, like yeah, they really got to break it down. Effects.
0: Like even Star Wars, yeah, they've got a couple of lightsaber moments and stuff like that. But some of it's just them wandering around a desert. Some of them, <laughs> it's just like they're in a cockpit. Like you can build a cockpit in your garage. Like yeah. <laughs> it can be done. Oh yeah, I've seen a lot of guys do it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a good. That's a good point though. Um, when we were on your podcast, you asked me like what my favorite three movies were and i asked you back and start you're a big star wars guy but i'd love for my audience to hear a little bit about your taste in film i mean it sounds to me like you love all kinds of film low budget high budget all kinds of genres but and i i I never want to pin someone down and be like what is your favorite movie of all time (laughs) but i love for people to like get a taste like obviously uh you know music stuff and mockumentary is the subject of today. And you really like this is spinal yeah. tap, but what other sorts of stuff do you like? You like star Wars. I know we've talked about, Oh brother, where art thou a little bit, yeah. uh but I'd love for people to just hear about your taste.
1: Yeah. I, I love star Wars, uh, the original trilogy, uh, mainly. And, um, some of the later ones I could kind of give or take, but, um, a brother, where art thou? I, I love the Coen Brothers. You know Fargo, and um, then I'm a big Tarantino guy, which is mm-hmm. no, no surprise on my show. I talk about him quite a bit. <laughs> um, you know, I, I like Inglorious Bastards, uh, Django, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, Reservoir Dogs. Do you have it's,
0: like because it kind of varies for me? But do you have like a definitive Tarantino list for you? Uh, my top or i guess or even like a hot take because like my big tarantino hot take is i actually really like the movie death proof which some people don't love uh but i don't know do you have like this one's actually not as good as everyone says or actually i like this one more than most people are you like a big jackie brown fan or do you put the kill bill films really
1: low or really high yeah um Death Proof is actually, to be quite honest, one of my lower ones on the list. Oh, and that's how I understand um, it. I, I, I love all of his <laughs> films. They just kind of, it's lowest of his list. Um, my top two kind of go back and forth uh, between Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained. Interesting. Um, yeah, so that was just a,
0: that was just a back to back double whammy for you. Then <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you're just like he is killing it right now. <laughs> He's killing it right now. Uh, I
1: love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That was actually my favorite Tarantino for a while, and then I went back and revisited the other ones. And like, oh, that's probably going to be a very close third. But um, yeah, you know, like like I said, Star Wars number one. Oh, Brother, where art thou has been pretty solid in number two. Uh, For number three, it's been kind of a rotating door with the Tarantino films. But I also love the film um, What Dreams May Come, starring Robin Williams. Okay. And um, uh, The Greatest Showman. So it's kind of a wide variety of tastes. I like the uh, the really recent one? Yeah, with uh, Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman? Yep. I never got
0: around to that, uh, even though I like musicals.
1: Uh. (laughs) You know, I'm going to... I'm gonna kinda of bare my soul here when we first went to see it. My wife and I we are just looking to see a movie and I hadn't heard that much about it beforehand. We went in and I like Hugh Jackman and Greatest Showman. The poster is kinda of cool, so we go, Well, let's go see that. I didn't even know it was a musical <laughs> when we went to see it. And they started singing, you're like, nah, fuck? <laughs> <laughs> No, I was uh I, I kinda caught on pretty quick, but uh no, I was I was kind of tired going in and I'm like famous for falling asleep during some movies. And, um, I fell asleep during justice league and Batman versus Superman. But, um, so I was, I go as, I,
0: as much as I'll stick up for the DC universe. <laughs> I also don't blame you for
1: that. <laughs> when we went in, I find out, Oh, it's a musical and I'm already tired. This is not good. And, uh, <laughs> But no, the, the first drum beats hit and Hugh Jackman, you know, starts kind of whispering that song and and it just had me hooked, had me hooked mm. from the very start. And I was sold all the way through it. So, yeah, that's occasionally peaks into that number three spot for me. So, um, wow. But I then praise
0: for such a recent film.
1: Yeah. Um, this is Spinal Tap is on that rotation at the number three spot as well. OK. Uh, um, no Country for Old Men. So, sure. yeah, kind of. Like I said, the number three kind of rotates around.
0: And it's a good peek, though, into obviously, as someone that was pursuing music for a little bit, uh, I that must you must just, you know, the fusion of film and music must be sort of your jam. Are you more into just films that are about music and musicians, or do you really get down on like, do, are you a big soundtrack guy, or do you, do you love both things, or do you just like the subject matter of it?
1: And, I'm not sure if I'm really a big soundtrack guy. Um, spinal, this is spinal tap really caught my eye because I did play in a rock band. I was just starting. I was 14 when that came out. And oh, um, <laughs> so I was just getting into playing guitar and that really caught my eye. And, uh, you know, I like the, the movies about musicians. I know rock star kind of takes a bad rap, but I like that movie.
0: The Mark um, Wahlberg
1: movie. Yep. <laughs> I like that movie. <laughs> I heard, I've heard kind of a bad rap, but I liked it, and I think it. I, I think uh, it there's, goes with the there's a couple songs that they
0: made for that movie that I think are legitimate bangers. Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, what's this? A, rest my soul, test my life, like whatever that song is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let the river flow. I fucking jam out to that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, so yeah, it's
1: it's more the subject matter more than the actual. Also, my my weird hot
0: take for that movie is like I think that's the hottest Jennifer Aniston's ever been in something. For some reason, yeah. <laughs> that particular movie, like she's just rocking like sweaters. She is so gorgeous in that yeah. film. <laughs> and Mark Wahlberg, uh, like I'm not the biggest Mark Wahlberg fan, but he is. If you use him correctly and you have the right director, he's not bad, honestly. Right. I challenge someone to watch Rockstar and Boogie Nights and tell me he totally sucks.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, you know, uh, if you try and judge his acting on uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Happening. Uh, Why? I don't, no. <laughs> uh, that's one movie I just laugh all the way through, and it's not even uh, a comedy. It is, is fucking brutal. <laughs> it,
0: works, it, it works as a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it
1: does.
2: So...
1: But it, it's kind of interesting, you know, because I think Rockstar, you know, it ties in with This Is Spinal Tap, not only because of the music subject, but if you watch Rockstar, there is references to what was going on in the 80s rock scene sure, sure. at that time, which I'm sure we'll get into depth here quite a bit. So,
0: So did you see This Is Spinal Tap, like right when it came out, are you saying? You said you were 14 and you were interested in that stuff. Did you... I mean, is this like something you saw in theaters, or did you come around to it a little bit later?
1: Just a little bit after it came out. I think I saw it on HBO or something at that time. and I don't recall seeing it in the theater, but I remember seeing it on HBO.
0: So, was it... uh, I mean, if you're still pretty young when you saw it, was it a movie that hit for you right away, or is it something you've come to appreciate over time?
1: It hit for me right away.
0: Uh, I, I mean, there's people... The big thing, and if people don't know this movie, a lot of people sort of credit this as like popularizing the concept of a mockumentary Yeah, and going hand in hand with that means that people don't, at the time, maybe didn't fully understand what the fuck a mockumentary was. And so there are people that watched this movie in theaters when it first came out and just went, what the fuck? That band sucks. That was a weird movie. And like they thought it was real because they play yeah. it completely straight. There's no yeah. moment in the movie where they go, By the way, this is all a joke. Like, it's there's people that watch this movie thinking it's totally serious. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, I, I think that's a big thing to as far as engaging with the film these days. It's well known as a mockumentary, but I was surprised by how straight they play it right off the bat. Like, there's clues. Like, when the movie opens, there, I was already chuckling a little bit because Rob Reiner he does this thing where he's like talking to the camera. And he like starts to cross his arms and he like kind of drops (laughs) them because he's like, that doesn't look, that doesn't feel right. I don't know what I'm doing with my hands or whatever. I was like, okay, this is, I like this, but it's subtle. It's not like obvious, you know? So it's interesting to hear that you were on the wavelength right away.
1: Yeah. Well, when he says, uh, uh, you know, that commercial where the dog chases the stagecoach into the cupboards, I did that. (laughs) And I was like, even as a kid, I was like, no, you didn't. (laughs) so but it, uh, it's i i love the the music part of it and uh uh i actually some, found the songs
0: very catchy and i think i think one of the and, and i think people have said like oh yeah the music's actually not bad but this movie doesn't work if the songs don't kind of bang a little bit right. like the songs are stupid and like i was listening <laughs> to it again today because i wasn't catching some of the lyrics And I got back to like the big booty song or whatever. Big bottom. Yep, Yeah. The big bottom. And I started listening to the lyrics of it. And I was like, every lyric is so dirty and it's ridiculous. I was like, okay, this is like really funny, but the song and the melody is actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, And again, the movie doesn't work unless they're kind of good. That's sort of the humor of the characters is they're all really fucking stupid, but they're actually not terrible musicians. No. Uh,
1: (laughs) Michael McKeon and, um, um, oh, Christopher Guest, his name is going to slip my mind there for a minute. They're oh, actually, he's the guy. <laughs> yeah, they're actually pretty good musicians. Um, yeah. They really played it up to, I mean, you watch the movie and you could tell they're just having a blast. Even though they're playing it straight, you can tell they're, the chemistry bete- between them is just incredible. <laughs> uh, but they played it up. I mean, they released a, an actual Spinal Tap album. Yeah, they tour occasionally. The yeah. <laughs> Uh, I
0: believe uh one of the videos I watched today trying to get prep for the show uh, part of the deal they have it's insane cuz it's like eventually the rights of the Spinal Tap ended up in the hands of the company L'Oreal yeah that the shampoo company <laughs> and they managed to reobtain the rights but it's one of those classic they can only retain the rights as long as they appear as Spinal Tap occasionally and so every few years they'll just do something weird as Spinal Tap, they'll go on like uh, one of them was like on a BBC show talking about Stonehenge. Uh, Christopher <laughs> Guest went on there as Nigel.
2: Yeah.
1: And he's
0: like, "What do you say about the builders? I'm just like, builder, just one man, just one man." That's my theory. Like it's just like, <laughs> and of course they play it completely straight. Yeah, uh, I will say I'm very familiar as far as the people behind the film. I'm very familiar with Reiner. I I think I've said on the show before. Uh, if you, I was making a top ten list of like underrated directors that people really should talk about more, Rob Reiner is making that list. I mean, you're talking about the oh, guy that absolutely. made Misery and Princess Bride, which I think are literally perfect movies. This dude's like fucking goaded as a director and a great actor too. Yep. Uh, I'm not very familiar with Guest. I've not seen some of his other work. I, I I've mi- I've missed that whole subset. of... I think was like Waiting for Guffman or. Yeah. Uh, I, there's like he's done some other mockumentary type stuff. I know they did a stint on SNL for a while. I know Michael, is it Michael McKean? Is that what his name is? Yep. Um I didn't it was I watched the movie last night. Today I was looking at like a YouTube video and it's like, can't believe this guy played Saul Goodman's brother. I was like, <laughs> That's who the fuck that was? I was like, Holy shit, that is him. And I'm like watching him like, yeah, that's his face. That is him. Wow. What a versatile <laughs> actor. Uh so And I know that I guess the origins of this movie was Rob Reiner used to have sort of a sketch show, which apparently the show was just called TV show, which is really funny. Uh, And they would, they went on as spinal tap. So that was sort of the genesis of this Mm. idea. But yeah, I mean, they're talented. They're obviously really talented. Yeah.
1: Yeah, They, (laughs) uh, um, if you, you can find it on YouTube. Now they actually uh, released a concert in 1992 Oh, they, really? play, they played you know a full concert at the royal albert hall in london england and it just rocks i mean it's and if you go out on youtube that it's all their videos and they're playing live and it's yeah they're they're really they can hold their own as musicians and i feel uh, bad i'll i do want to throw out
0: uh harry Shear's name as well yep, yep. he's sort of the uh fourth of this
2: uh,
0: <laughs> uh group of you know, they're sort of the four creative minds behind the thing. Yeah. Obviously, he's very amusing in the film. He's taking a slight backseat to McCain and guest, obviously, but he's very crucial in some moments like his oh, yeah. lukewarm water <laughs> part of the movie where he's like, it's like, oh, they're fire and ice. I'm kind of like lukewarm water. Like, he's got some really banger <laughs> moments in the movie, too. Yeah. So don't want to leave him out.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's uh, so, uh, a lot of I mean, people know that- him
1: from The Simpsons. Yeah, when I was looking
0: up his Simpsons. IMDB, I was like, I was like, this is crazy. It's like Casper and The Simpsons and like the all everyone like everyone in this movie. I mean, the the cast list is insane. Yeah. Like the credits hit and I was like, Billy Crystal was in this movie. <laughs> I didn't even see him. And I was like watching it again today. And I was like, oh, he's like the mime guy that's like yep. running the mimes at this weird party. And uh then there's like a character really early on in the movie, she's named Bobby Fleckman. Uh but I was like, I said, like, man, I really like her. And then I said, like, oh, that's Fran Drescher. What the fuck? Like, no wonder <laughs> I liked her because I'm in love with Fran Drescher. <laughs> and like, she's like, oof, I love Fran Drescher. Yeah. Uh, apparently, she, uh, re- she brought this character back on The Nanny. Uh, Bobby Fleckman is in an episode of The Nanny. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> My wife, uh, I was just watching the movie again the other night. My wife, from the other room, she heard her voice, Bobby Fleckman's voice. And she goes, is that Fran Drescher? <laughs> yeah. yeah." But I love Fran Drescher. <laughs> now I'm going to date myself because I knew Rob Reiner from all in the family back mm. uh, when he was playing me, Ed on all in the family. And, and I remember Christopher guest from Saturday night live. Sure. And then, um, Michael McKeon played Lenny on uh, Laverne and Shirley. And oh yeah. 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 Also, was also on an episode of happy days once. So it's, <laughs> I, I, you know, I had known all those actors and, you know, rob reiner the director before that and so i thought it was really cool and rob reiner's a good actor
0: too like he he shows up and stuff and i'm always happy to see him and i I think rob reiner i mean uh i know uh nepo baby is like a fun term that everybody likes to throw around these days i I think technically he's a nepo baby but i mean i don't know the guy's fucking talented so i don't (laughs) give a shit (laughs) he's a good actor and he's a great fucking director uh like if we didn't have him we wouldn't have uh princess bride and that's like god i love that movie
2: (laughs) Uh, a few good men
1: when we met sally i mean yeah oh yeah yeah great director
0: do you have like any as far as like i guess guest and reiner being the big creative forces here do you have any strong opinions on either of them like reiner i mean would you say uh, is it a few good men or you like uh what what are his favorites of yours
1: oh this rob reiners but sure uh then probably princess bride um, which that's going to, I know I'm going to hear from Michael Godfrey because one of his favorite movies is the princess bride. So he would be <laughs> like, how did you put spinal tap in front of that? But I mean, yeah, sometimes it so <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm not familiar with a lot of Michael McKean's work after spinal tap and Christopher Guest's work after, but I, I absolutely love them both in spinal tap. And, um, I actually, I really like their, I, you know, me being a guitar player, it's, I actually like their playing and, and the songs they wrote. So
0: yeah. Uh, the songs in the movie are, are good. It's like classic, uh, metal stuff. I did, yeah. uh, there were moments of the movie that I was like, oh, cause this is the kind of movie also. That's always interesting for someone like me to, to see, because I watch a movie like this and I go, oh, every movie has ripped this movie off. Like ad nauseum, because <laughs> I'm someone that grew up, I really like that movie, Walk Hard, a Dewey mm-hmm. Cox story, which is like, you know, uh, John C. Riley's parody of Walk the Line, but there's a lot of other musical elements to it. And there's the moment in this movie where it flashes back to when they were like more of like a flower power, like 60s or 70s band or whatever. Yep. And I was like getting major like Dewey Cox vibes from how. You see the progression of his music where he's just shameless in the fact that he'll do any genre to stay relevant, you know, because this is a band that we come to understand. They're all like in their 40s and stuff, and they it's not like metal was their passion. They just were like, it's the 80s. So we're doing metal now, I guess, like, (laughs) and they do it well, but it's also like they weren't. They're just like, this is what we do. We're like glam rockers now, even though there's all this footage of them looking like the fucking Beatles and shit uh, <laughs> on these weird like t- uh, shows. It- it's so well done. It looks exactly like that stuff used to look like. And they even the DP of the movie I read basically was a music documentary guy that Reiner hired and was like, yeah, I want you to make it look like a real fucking documentary. That's part of what will make it funny (laughs) and even the guy was kind of like i don't know what's going on here i guess i'm just shooting these idiots (laughs) and they said the dp was like i'm not sure this is funny this is kind of just how these guys are and reiner was like exactly
1: (laughs) (laughs) well you watch and you hear the stories of what was going on the music scene back then and it's it's like everything that happened back then just kind of amplified just a little bit yeah Um,
0: and it's, it's that fine line. Satire's hard. Yeah. Uh, it, it's really, really hard.
1: <laughs> and it, they is, threw is, everything. and They threw everything plus a kitchen sink into this. On uh, every story you heard from rock bands back then, it was kind of like Murphy's Law with Spinal Tap. Everything happened to them. But, you know, you heard about the, the backstage where, you know, he's uh, basically obsessing over the size of the meat and the bread. <laughs> and you, you hear about bands actually being like that and, you know, one famous story is um, with Van Halen, who happens to be one of my favorite bands. Um, they had it in their contract that backstage, they would have a bowl of M&Ms, but all the brown ones had to be removed. <laughs> and you would think, oh, they're eccentric rock stars and stuff, but it, it's act, it was actually a business move by them. The reason being is it was in their contract that all the brown M&Ms had to be removed, and that was how they could tell right away if somebody read the entire contract or not, if they came in and they brought proud M M's, they didn't read the full contracts. So we're not going to get everything. So, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. no, it makes sense. It also reminded
0: me, I haven't watched a lot of it, but uh, a podcast I really liked. They briefly were talking about this documentary called uh, the decline of Western civilization. Part oh yeah. Two, oh, the, I love that little years. Yeah. I uh, saw that
1: one too. I love that one. I was brushing up on
0: that again today and it's kind of eerie. To watch this is Spinal Tap, and then watch Decline of Western Civilization Part Two because they're not very dissimilar. <laughs> yeah. uh, they feel like kind of like watching the same movie, oh, yeah. except in Western Civilization you see Lemmy and Ozzy and shit. But yeah. it's like, like I was clicking through it, and it's like, it's like, oh, what's your favorite pastime? Oh, definitely sex. Oh, <laughs> sex. Yeah, I like big titty girls or whatever. And then you just have this guy like in a pool. Like, ma- like mainlining cigarettes, and his yeah. mom's just in a chair next to him, and she's like, what would you say about it? He's like, I'm a piece of crap. I don't know. Like, I'll either be a rock star or I'll fucking kill myself, I guess. Like, it's just, like, wild. And it's like it's a movie that came out, like, three years after this is Spinal Tap, and it's like, wow, this is Spinal Tap. Kind of didn't... That's also a mark of good satire when it's so close to the yeah, source <laughs> there
1: there's there's quite a bit of reality in that satire there yeah i remember I think... uh decline western civilization that was actually uh in the pool that was very depressing sad yeah yeah scene but that was chris holmes from uh wasp and yeah he was drunk and sitting on a pool <laughs> chair and his mom was sitting right there it's like oh, are you kidding me
0: but, it's wild but it's yeah, a wild it's... watch if people are interested in that kind of stuff it's a good mix of bands too. Cause it's, you have like Alice Cooper and Ozzie and stuff, but then you have some of the bands that maybe you haven't really heard of them, but they're all sort of coming up together. So you know, who makes it and doesn't make it. So it's, it's a pretty, yeah. it's a pretty wild thing to watch it. I think if anyone likes this, this, spinal tap, they'd probably get a kick out of that movie. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> although it's, it's a little more real and a little more depressing. Yeah, this there's spinal some tap's de- kind of there's all some depressing. In good spots
1: in there. Yeah. <laughs> see. Now I, uh, like I mentioned, I, I play guitar and I actually played in Machine Gun Kelly with Mike Godfrey and uh, Frank Boyd, uh, who actually, I'm going to, we we we've broke it before on our show. His real name is Frank Marino, but in films, <laughs> he, he goes by Frank Boyd. But we were in a band together um, back in 91. We played until 97. And we played hard rock and we had plenty of our own spinal tap moments. And I've met quite a few people <laughs> like those characters in... This is Spinal Tab, so. Yeah, it's, it's based wanker. in reality. <laughs> <laughs> fucking wankers. You no, know, that's they tell us,
0: it's like, save the show. Uh, <laughs> I guess this is as good a point as any. Uh, we might as well just jump straight into the movie. Okay. Um, we talked about it, but the intro is sort of, uh, and I, I'm blanking on, so Rob Reiner is the director of the movie, but he's also playing the director of the movie. Yep. It's sort of a meta moment. I can't remember what his name is. It's like something insane, like Mark DeBaggio or uh, something. Marty, Marty DeBerge. Marty Bergie. <laughs> and he's sort of like setting the table. He's got like a lens on a necklace hanging around yeah. while he's like walking around the studio. It's like, so when you like know what you're in for, it's like, so over the top.
1: He's got that, uh, uh, Navy cap on, which is kind of a nod towards yeah. like Steven Spielberg. If you see old pictures, they're always wearing like a police cap or a Navy cap or something. But, I got
0: really obsessed with his cap after a certain point. Cause I was like, is that like
1: just a Navy cap that he's wearing in like every scene? What is this? <laughs> There's actually, I did not notice this for a long time. I used to think it said USS Coral sea, which is the actual name of a ship in the Navy. If you take a closer look, it's actually USS oral sea. It's O O R A L. <laughs> and the reason being I had to look it up. The reason being is that they would have had to get rights from the Navy to use the name USS Coral Sea on the hat and either they didn't give them the rights or they actually didn't want to approach the Navy and even ask him but there is a side note to that and I have to go back and watch it but since Rob Reiner directed This is Spinal Tap and he also did The Princess Bride, supposedly there's a USS Oral Sea hat in the boy's bedroom on the shelf oh, really? <laughs> so now I'm going to have, I just read that today so I'm going to have to go back and watch that now and see if that USS Oral hat's on there. So I wonder
0: if it's like a <laughs> pun too, like given the subject matter of yeah. the movie oral <laughs> is is just funny. Too. Oh, I'm sure that's
1: uh <laughs> played into it, but
0: uh we kind of transition <laughs> straight into some of the music. We we meet the band, we get sort of like freeze frames. It took me a shockingly long time to nail down our main characters, but we basically we have like David and Nigel. Like their names are great, but I'm having trouble off the cuff, like their, their full names are so perfect. Like it's like Nigel, <laughs> Nigel
1: Tufnell, Nigel uh, Tufnell, <laughs> David St. Hubbins. Um, yeah.
0: David St. Hubbins. And then we have uh something small. Yep. Derek Smalls is, is Harry Derek Shearer's smalls character is, is his character. And then they have a keyboardist and a drummer. They factor in the movie about as much as the drummer thing is kind of a running gag in the movie. Yeah. And that's about it. The drummer does get a couple really good scenes, though, uh, which we'll get to, but, <laughs> but basically our main three, we have uh, lead vocals and guitar, main guitarist, and then bassist, our, our three. And so one thing that's interesting about this movie, <clears throat> I guess it's worth saying, I probably should have prefaced it, was the this movie is largely improvised. Uh, they had a basic premise, but it's just a bunch of hours of footage of them just Goofing off, and then they cut it together. Yeah, and it is kind of funny because other. they do cut back to certain interviews. And it is a little, if you think too hard about it, it's a little bit confusing to understand when these interviews are taking place. Because there's this particular interview they cut back to a lot with Rob Reiner and Christopher Guest, where Guest is wearing this like skeleton t shirt. <laughs> and they cut back to it a lot in the movie to the point where, but so much happens over the course of the movie. I'm like, when did this interview take place? Because he's reacting almost as if he's reacting to certain moments. He's like, well, how did you feel about that? And how'd you feel about this? And it's like, but you don't have to, you're not supposed to think that hard about it. <laughs> uh, we have like basically two main chunks. There's this sort of like outdoor setting where they're interviewing like the main members of the band. Uh, David is wearing these like white pants and uh, whatever. I, I read, a, there's like I a wearing a kilt. <laughs> Yeah, there's like a fun tidbit that's like in the because they did a they did a uh, commentary on the film, but they did it in character. And I guess uh, Nigel tells a story of he took the pants to the dry cleaners, and they wouldn't give it back because there was a stain on them that looked like Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> and so they kept his pants or something like that That's like in the commentary of the movie if you can find it i guess <laughs> so there's a lot there's a lot of gags that got left on yeah. the cutting room floor i think but even the credits are clearly just a montage of stuff they couldn't figure out where to fit it into the movie and even uh i saw something that was like one of the early advertisements of the film was rob reiner being like i have this great movie i'm going to show you i can't really show you any clips but here's something we can show you, and it's them at like this cheese rolling festival. Uh, <laughs> and it's just them like throwing wheels of cheese around, and it, it's really goofy. <laughs> but we meet the band, and they're sort of uh, being interviewed. This is where we learn sort of their history and the other bands they played with. We joked a little bit about they were the originals, but then there was a band called the originals, so they had to be the new originals. And uh, we also start, we start at the beginning of a running gag here where their drummers seem to die a lot. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, then <laughs> and I you, said,
0: then you oh, no, have that,
1: you have that, you know, one of those cameos right there. That first drummer was Ed Begley Jr. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, uh, yeah, the, the gag starts there and died. I think he was the one that. He the first one he, he choked gardening. on
0: vomit. Uh, oh, was that I the th- one he choked on vomit, but they don't think it was his vomit. And they have, that gag. he's like, yeah, yeah, well, you can't dust the vomit, can you? Yeah. But we don't really know whose vomit it was. Uh, one of them spontaneously combusted.
2: Yeah.
0: One of them had some horrific gardening accident. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like... Or the
1: police. The police said it's better just not, just to leave it unsolved. <laughs>
0: and again, presumably a lot of this stuff's just they're making up as they're going along, so it's yeah. kind of funny uh, to get all these gags. I I said I think I don't know if I've said it out loud on this episode. I said before we started recording. I've got like the basic beats of the scenes, but if there's any gags that you want to shout out as we're going through it, please don't let me skip over any of your favorite moments here. So, like uh, this this interview is a pretty big portion of the beginning, though, where we're sort of laying the groundwork for how stupid these guys are, and uh, they just they just say a lot of really dumb shit, and you just kind of it just, but it's all so sincere and deadpan. It's it's easy to like be like, oh yeah yeah okay okay, like I told you before. <laughs> I didn't even catch like the new originals joke when I was first watching it. It didn't like click with me until later. I was like,
1: Oh, that's funny. Uh (laughs) And then they went to the, they renamed themselves the regulars. So we could have gone back to the originals, but we said, you know what the hell at this point? So we just became the (laughs) Thamesmen.
0: So yeah, they have like uh, some like flower power music, like very old school Beatles stuff. Uh, They're even like, they look a lot different. They don't have like the metal hair and all that stuff. Michael McKean
1: actually looks a little cross eyed. Yeah, I don't know what's up
0: with that. He's (laughs) got like a cross eyed thing going on. I was like, what what is this? (laughs) Um, But we kind of just fast. Basically, the whole impetus for Reiner doing this documentary supposedly is they're coming to the U.S. to do a tour. So they've come to the U.S., they. One of our more important characters that I've neglected to mention—I don't know the actor's name off the top of my head—but uh, their manager uh, plays a pretty huge role in the film. He's a—he's a pretty important character. They're Ian Faith. at this party.
1: <laughs> What's that? Yeah, this character's name is Ian Faith. Yeah, yeah he's great.
0: Him. Some of his, some of his wardrobe in this, all the wardrobe in this movie is bonkers, insane, and it's really good. Uh, but there's like a moment, like the moment where he like quits the band. He's wearing this like god-awful shirt vest combo that i just i couldn't even pay attention to what he was saying because i was obsessed with this tiny weird vest that he was wearing uh but yeah this is like this really lanky blonde dude um and he's talking to fran drescher who again i must reiterate i'm in love with um uh, <laughs> right off the bat because they're getting ready to set off on their tour and she's just like you can't have an album like this you got a got a girl on all fours and they got a dog collar around her, and you're pulling the leash tight and you got a black glove well you should have seen what they wanted it to be instead of the glove uh they're they're releasing this album called smell the glove again all the album names are great uh i think reiner's like talking about the reviews of some of their albums oh it's yeah like, it's like it's a two-word review uh something shit and they're just like i don't think Where did they print that can you even print
1: that <laughs> yeah the, the album's name was shark sandwich and the reviewer just two simple words shit sandwich can you, even they just that? Like, can, can you even say that? Where, where did they print that? <laughs> I, I love the one, the very first one, the Intervenus de Mayo. Or, yeah. uh, but uh, he, Rob Reiner goes into this lengthy, real detailed explanation of what the reviewer hated of the, of the album. And Nigel goes, well, that's really nitpicking now, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's pretty much in detail.
0: uh but they're getting shit over their album cover uh she gets a call ian picks up the phone the the band gets like told like your album cover is offensive uh we can't really run with it and they're kind of arguing with her a little bit like like what's wrong with it being sexy she's like sexist i'm saying sexist (laughs) uh and they're like oh uh in this scene and i don't think this reoccurs in the movie ever uh i noticed that nigel and david just have warts on their lips <laughs> uh and they're like really grotesque and i was just like what it's just this one that, scene
1: <laughs> that, <laughs> <But it's... laughs> i i had to do some digging on that one because when i saw it originally it's like it yeah it made no sense they had like these coal sores or ringworm or something on their lips and you know i wrote my own jokes because they really didn't include a joke with it i was like you know were they kissing each other and they got you know gave this to <laughs> each other i i really didn't know but I guess what happened is um, they recorded like if they put all the footage together that they recorded, they have over four hours of this type of stuff. And so when they cut it down for the film, they had to cut certain Uh, scenes out. One of the scenes they cut out explained what they had on their lips. And (laughs) um, I guess what it was is that there was an opening band and all the members of Spinal Tap slept with their lead singer and all of them came down with herpes. And so that, but they cut out everything except they left that in there. So it's like, you have no reference to the. Why do they have those things on their lips? And it's it did like, make me wonder.
0: And I also was, uh, <clears throat> I was, uh, there's like a reoccurring gag in this movie, essentially where every single place they go, there's just groupies around and occasionally the groupies get introduced and sometimes they don't and they're just around. There's never any attention called to it uh i will say it seems like as far as i can tell david is a mostly faithful guy seems to really like his wife uh mm-hmm. so sad to hear he got the wart from yeah. sleeping with somebody i guess Uh that's but, why i'm
1: <laughs> wondering if that's why he you know rob cut that scene out was well we have to play it up that he really loves his wife and devoted and and so could that have been seemed to make it, it sense could have been but...
0: funny if it was like the uh they didn't wash the microphones and they got like too intimate with the <laughs> yeah. microphones, and they got like warts on their mouth because of it. Uh, yep.
1: Of course, maybe that's it. You know, I'm just going off some story. i see in the internet, you know, we, we, <laughs> you know, you can't believe everything you read. Right. So I don't, I but. guess I must've,
0: uh, I guess this happened earlier in the movie than I remembered, but I have the note. One of my favorite scenes is this limo ride, which I guess must have happened earlier than I thought it did. Cause yeah, it is in the limo where we we meet Bobby and she's talking to them and this is before the party where she's like your album cover is offensive. But I do want to shout out the uh, limo ride scene. Cause I just, he's like, there's like this New York cab driver. He's like, Oh, I see you're reading Sammy Davis jr's book. He's like, you know, they should have, should have called that. Yeah. Can I, if Frank's Frank will let me. And then they just like roll up the window and he's like, these sons of bitches. And he's like, and, <laughs> but it's funny. Cause like, I I think out of everyone in the movie, the limo driver is like the smartest guy or he's just like, it's just a fad. It's not going to last or whatever. I've seen these guys come and go. He's like talking because Rob Reiner's up front with him and they just have this like back and forth moment. I I love this limo driver. He's fucking primo. Uh, (laughs) I just, I
1: really like him. Well, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the album cover smell the Glove," and that it was (laughs) the, the you know, the suits in the front office wanted to change it, you know, stuff like that. It's, it's all through the movie. I mentioned it before is that they're pulling from reality and satiring and all this stuff because it happened quite a bit back then. One mm-hmm. in particular was uh, the Scorpions when they came out with love at first Sting. when they first came out with that album, the original album cover was deemed too offensive or too obscene. Sure. And so they actually came out with an alternate cover later on, but um. Yeah, that happened quite a bit, you know. And and they just <laughs> they took all that and just shoved it all into this everything that's happened in the rock world. Let's just shove it into this one movie.
0: And I like the gag later in the movie when they're talking about like you know we saw the old cover and he was in chains and he's was like blah blah blah. <laughs> and then Ian is just like, he's like, oh well, you know they're the ones being degraded, you know. He's like, if we'd had you in a loaded chains, like maybe it would have been fine. And they're all like, oh. Okay, like, they're trying really hard to, like, understand. It's yeah. so funny. It's just that uh, small <laughs> twist.
1: just that small twist. <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, we get this really weird, one of the more interesting settings in the movie. They seem to be in, like, what looked to me like the food court of a mall <laughs> or something. And Rob is interviewing David and Nigel specifically. There's a lot of really good moments here. I don't know if I yeah. have the wherewithal to cover all of them. My, my note, like, I know this is where they try to s- sing that Cause he's asking them like what their history with each other is. They try to sing a song they came up with when they were boys, and they kind of botch it, but kind of don't. It's funny. In my notes here, it says armadillos in our trousers and young boys. Uh, <laughs> I think that's in reference to like Rob Reiner goes, he's like, I've noticed a lot of your audience seems to be young boys, and I'm like, oh well, you know, blah blah blah. And they're like trying to justify their demographic, and he's like, we have you know armadillos in our trousers. It's quite frightening, and blah blah blah, like. <laughs> It's just like a whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if there's any standout moments of this weird food court interview for you. <laughs> well,
1: what stood out to me was actually the song. It's uh, a song called yeah, All yeah. the Way Home. And they were like singing acapella. And it's like, man, that is actually pretty catchy tune. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of glimpses
0: like... in this movie where you got this and you have like when Nigel's sort of showing rob reiner on the piano like something he's been working on on the side rob reiner's kind of like this is like actually good like what what do you he's like oh you know it's part of a trilogy blah 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 and even when he like tries to explain it it sounds really stupid but the music is good and again that's sort of the uh irony of these guys it's like they're actually pretty musically talented like some Mm -hmm. of the solos that nigel rips off in this movie are fucking badass (laughs) uh but it's also like really over the top and silly and then you get like really dumb gags where he's ripping it solo off on one guitar and plays another one with his foot and then uses a violin
1: on the one he's playing and just like starts rubbing them together and shit.
2: <laughs> the, <laughs>
1: the, best, the best part of that scene though, is when he's making all that noise. Cause all you hear is all the scratching and the yeah. you know feedback and stuff. And he takes that violin and he's rubbing it against the strings on his guitar and he stops for a moment and tunes the violin—it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just noise—and just tunes it, and go back to scraping it across the strings. And
0: <laughs> uh, I think from here we get another pretty great scene where Ian comes backstage. It's Ian, right? I'm already doubting myself on that name.
1: Yeah, uh, Ian Faith is the man. Yeah. Yep.
0: This is where Nigel's complaining about the tiny bread, and Ian's just like, "Well, you just you fold the meat." And he's like, "Well, I, I tried to fold the meat, and I tried to fold the bread." It's just, I've been he says. Like, at one point, he's like, I've been working on this for a half hour, and you're just like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, he just it is man. This is probably their one of their dumbest mo- in a movie of the absolute them being dumbos. This is one of the dumber. Uh, he just doesn't understand how to make a sandwich out of yeah. tiny bread, and he well, just <laughs> it goes on for a while, and it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you just keep folding the meat, keep folding them. Well, then I have fold the bread. Why would you fold the bread again? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's funny because you just see Ian give up at a certain point. Yeah. He's trying to explain it to him, and then he just goes, you know what, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll get it salty. He's like, are you, are you able to play? He's like, no, it's not going to affect my performance. It's fine. It's uh, <laughs> like really pouty. It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of this performance, I think the standout moment of, of this particular concert is Nigel starts ripping off a solo and falls over on his back, but then he can't, he can't get up. And so their <laughs> stage hand has to like come out and like try to prop him back up. Uh, it, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Again, um, you
1: know, again, just, yeah. Taken from reality. It's like, yeah. And, oh, and I wow. haven't really
0: done a good job of like writing down which songs happen when, so if there's any particular bangers that you want to shout out, like, please feel free. <laughs> well, I just, I
1: just love them all that they, they're kind of like, uh, they stick with me after the movie, and but there's songs that you can't really go out and sing in the grocery store or anything like <laughs> You know, working on a sex farm and hell, sex hole. the sex farm. <laughs> the sex farm, song. I was like, What? I was like, What is
0: happening? <laughs> is that what the one they play at the air air, yeah, air airbase hangar? Yep, they're like, yeah, keep it, keep it PG family friendly. <laughs> she was a sex farm worker, <laughs> just like, Oh my god, there's also times where. David, he'll just start screaming. Just, just, ah, (laughs) Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, they get, uh, oh, this is, this is where, I mean, probably one of the more infamous moments in the movie is like, whenever you, like, if you look up, this is spinal tap. One of the images you will see is the amp knob with the 11. Uh, this is where, uh, Nigel's showing off his guitars. Get a good moment. He's like, he's like don't touch it and he's like oh no i wasn't going to touch it i was just he's like well don't even point at it <laughs> and he's like i have these arms he's like 11 he's like is 11 a lot louder than 10 he's like well oh, it's one more isn't it <laughs> it's one louder <laughs> it's like it's a pretty uh infamous moment from the yeah. movie i think
1: well, why don't uh, you just make 10 louder and make 10 the top number <laughs> well these go to 11 <laughs>
0: there's a really pregnant pause before he answers yeah. to it. They hold on to think about it. You had to think about it for a while. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> it's funny. Cause, uh, one of the, uh, YouTube videos I watched was like, well, how did they not laugh a bunch? And it is like, they did a bunch of rehearsal and stuff, but I guess two of the standouts, one of them coming up, they go to this hotel and it turns out that their rooms got booked wrong. And there's this guy with these big thick glasses that they're arguing with. He's like, I'm trying to get this sorted and this fruit won't tell me. He's like, I'm just the way God made me, sir. And like, and like, apparently they could not like keep it together with this guy. This guy was like <laughs> cracking them a lot. Uh, and I, I did lie to t- this twisted old fruit. I'm just, <laughs> as God made me, sir. And like, <laughs> It's really the, just the, the timing of it is really good. Uh, <laughs> I'm not
1: even sure who that was. I was good. Yeah. I know the,
0: up. the other guy, the other guy I that was I've breaking them and, and you can kind of see it on camera was the air force guy uh Fred Willard. Yep. Uh you can like see them. Like they have to like turn away from the camera at certain times <laughs> during that scene cuz like they can't keep it together. There's even like someone behind Fred Willard who you see start laughing and the camera like pans away from them really quickly. Uh cuz like Fred Willard is just oh my god, he's he, <laughs> he's he gets one scene in this movie and he destroys it. Uh but this hotel clerk is awesome uh too. but For- they they run into this other rock band uh and they have this like weird exchange where the rock band's like we're not we're not signing anything get away from us they're like no no we're we're spinal tap we're we're you know we're playing he's like why are you playing they're like trying to get along and the guy's like yeah whatever he walks off and they're like, fucking wanker and there's like <laughs> immediately start shit talking to this band much more popular band presumably <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which i assume is like uh i assume these guys are like a cameo I, I didn't recognize them but they look like vaguely familiar
1: yeah the um the singer his character's name was Duke. That's actually Paul Shortino, who he played with a band called Rough Cut back in the 80s, but then also sang for a quiet riot for a while after, oh, okay. after Kevin Debro either passed away or, or was out of the band for a while. Um, but then the manager is Howard Hessman, who's from WKRP in Cincinnati, played, okay. doc, played Dr. Johnny Fever. So oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> it, that's um, a great scene, though. Great scene
0: it's good and we find out that another one of their shows has been canceled there's a really good line where I, I think rob reiner's interviewing ian and he's like behind this desk and he has like a really banger line of like well it appears their appeal is becoming more selective like, <laughs> yeah. he's like trying to spin the fact that like they don't have a big audience uh <laughs> they have this like cricket back gag too that they sort of establish here where he's like carry this cricket bat all over the place and we get like a quick montage of him just destroying shit <laughs> <laughs> uh they're in their they're in the hotel room and uh david gets a call turns out his girlfriend's gonna be joining them on the tour we immediately see that nigel's not stoked about this he's like, she's just gonna be like dropping something off he's like no she's gonna be coming with us isn't that great he's kind of like uh no I i, for, I feel bad because i don't remember what the girlfriend's name is uh, she factors in pretty heavily into the rest of the movie, uh, but she's, I mean, she's great. And the, like for what she's supposed to do for the movie, it's very much uh, obvious nod to sort of our uh, Yoko yep. as far as like the Beatles go. <laughs> it's sort of a, a one-to-one analogy there. As soon as she shows up, she starts trying to sort of make her presence known and influence the band and stuff. And clearly, especially Nigel and her do not get along. They go into this other room and it's like they're playing their song on the radio and they're all kind of like smiling. and then, But then I, I didn't catch what the guy says, but I, I think it's something along the lines of like, yeah, I don't know what happened to these guys, but you know, good luck to them out there. It's a pretty decent song because you see all their faces like fall, but it didn't yeah. quite catch what they said. It's something funny, but.
1: Yeah. What the <laughs> what, what it was, was, they it was a song by the, when they were the Thamesmen. So they go, and that was Thamesmen. They later change your name to Spinal Tap. And they're residing in the where they now file. And uh, yeah, they pretty much get pretty depressed right away. So then this they go out also, to the Elvis graveyard. The <laughs> Elvis graveyard is like, holy <laughs> shit.
0: It's it's like kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of, the humor is a little bit dark, but it's yeah. also very funny. Because they're clearly, they're just this stupid band that's like trying to pay respects to him. Yep. but they just are just absolutely botching one of his songs while they like sing it over <laughs> his
1: trying, grave. <laughs> they're trying to harmonize it. <laughs> <It's> super brutal. <laughs> <laughs> That's reggae that you can't, you can't do that song reggae. Uh, well, not it's if really I sing good. it like this.
0: <laughs> and this is also, this is one of the moments where I really noticed the uh, filmmaking too, because it's from the side and it's mostly focused on Nigel with, Uh, david sort of in profile in front of the camera and it kind of just holds on the shot because clearly they knew this was the take and it was magic and like in a more traditional filmmaking sense you would have wanted like a maybe a clearer shot of david chastising them a little bit but the energy is just so good you just hold on this one shot and and it works like because he's like no it's more like this and they're just kind of like because they're trying to like do this like faux reverential thing and they're just botching it completely. It's it's just really brutal. (laughs) Um, My note here just says flower people song. I think this is where we sort of dive back into their, like essentially one hit they ever had. They also tell the story of their drummer who spontaneously combusted (laughs) around here.
1: (laughs) Left a green globule. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a green globule on the
0: thing. You know, it happens to people all the time. Not enough people talk about it. Uh, <laughs> just like it's like yeah people spontaneously can bust all the time it's a thing uh they're doing a sound check in milwaukee this is where david's girlfriend shows up nigel's not super stoked about it this is also all in the same scene where their album arrives uh they've replaced their cover with just a plain black cover there's a lot of like again this is how like rapid fire the movie is that they're, they're just like slinging stuff left and right He's like, couldn't be blacker than this i can see my i guess you can kind of see yourself imagine he's like i'm telling you death sells like there's all these like lines in this there they're, they're clearly mad about the album but i mean that that's what's happening and there's just there's a lot of really good gags about this black album yeah. obviously a riff on the white album which they yeah. literally name fran drescher name drops earlier in the movie so the beatles had the beatles had the fucking white album and now and was fine they didn't need to sell whatever so they've got the black album which i guess is also I guess I mean
1: this would be pre-Metallica I would yeah. assume. I, uh, you know I should have looked that up. I don't know if Metallica <laughs> would, kind of gave a nod towards Spinal Tap by putting out their black album. I can't I'm going to guess I'm going to guess it is.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine there's not a musician alive that hasn't like seen this is Spinal Tap and
1: oh this back then this was considered like the bible for rock musicians. You had to watch Spinal Tap. Um yeah, that black album at no writing on it, no picture, no logo, no nothing. Just black album. Is this the test pressing? No, this is the album. Well, you can you can see yourself in both sides. <laughs> both sides. <laughs> it's So good.
0: <laughs> I love the death cells where he just, it's like, Do you know, everything's about death. Death cells. Like he's just, Ian's just desperately trying to spin it. Yeah. Uh, this is where we get. Probably one of the better concerts where they do the pod entrance and uh, the bassist <laughs> gets stuck in the pod. It doesn't go very well. Yeah.
1: Their, their concerts, they're kind of in concert styles very much like um, Ronnie James Dio, you know, the black Sabbath kind of the yeah, yeah, medieval yeah. mysticism and yeah, the, the pod pod. And thing. again,
0: like one of the videos I watched was like, like you've said before, a lot of this movie is them sort of taking stories they've heard. Uh, I can't remember specifically the name of the artist, but the YouTube video I was watching was like, Oh yeah. Like they definitely took a concert where this kind of happened and, and like amped it up to 11, uh, <laughs> pun intended, I guess for the movie. I don't know. Is this, is this is where that term originated. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it is, <laughs> <laughs> but they keep playing. I love the, just the subtle glances at some point, they s- seem to realize he's stuck in the pod, but they just keep playing through. And then just like a really great coup de grace where he finally bursts out of the pod as they're reentering the pod. And then he like sticks his arm back in and it closes. He's just like, yeah, uh, it- it's pretty good.
1: <laughs> Dur- during the slow part of the song, you know, the harmonizing part, all you hear is this roadie hammering on the back of the pod trying to get it open <laughs> you know just a hammer yeah. slamming on it and.
0: he pulls a blowtorch <laughs> out at one point and i thought we were going to get a more serious fire but <laughs> thankfully it didn't get too out of control yeah.
1: you know uh, i, I I'd reference that, well i was just gonna oh. i was just gonna say you know playing in bands back then every band that played out had their spinal tap moments like that live yeah sure and we actually had one that i i still I still laugh thinking about this. Uh, I'll tell one of our sp- Spinal Tap stories. Um, <laughs> we we're playing this uh, venue, and I was a lead guitar player, but for one song every show, I would set the guitar down and just sing this song. And that song was "Fight for Your Right to Party" by the Beastie Boys. Oh. <laughs> so I'd come up and I'd sing that, and and I thought this one time, you know, I, I like the Harlem Globetrotters, and they always had that gag where they took the bucket and people think there's water in there and they go out and run out to the crowd and throw it and it turns out it's like uh, confetti and i go i'm gonna do something like that live with the band so you know i'm drinking out of this cup here and and so everybody thinks there's something in this cup and then halfway through the song i'm going to switch the cup and it's going to be this cup full of glitter and i'm going to throw it out over the audience when all the lights are flashing and it's just going to be, it was so cool <laughs> in my head, you know, everything was <laughs> sure, just sure. so cool. Already um, thinking cinematically. <laughs> yeah. So, so at a certain point in the song, I go up and I wind up like I'm going to throw a baseball or something, wind up, apparently forget gravity and how that works. And I throw the glass out and this plastic glass just hurls across the crowd. No glitter whatsoever. <laughs> and I go, that did not look anything like what I envisioned in my head. And I turn around and our bass player is covered from head to toe in glitter. Because when I brought my arm back, all the glitter went flying out the back. And I, I threw this could, empty I glass. I could see,
0: because now that I see you mimicking the football throwing motion, I'm like, of course, you just chucked
1: a load of glitter right into your guy's face yeah, he, was, he's, he said he was digging glitter out of his base for months but oh my God. I, at, I work
0: at the library uh and we do events and stuff and we have like two really specific rules you're not allowed to bring in helium balloons because they will get lost in our system like they, we, they would just never be able to get them because our ceilings are so high and no fucking glitter uh because it's like there's a room where it's like, yeah, we did a party in here like a year ago. I'm still finding glitter. <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it hangs around for a while. The guy, the guy just looked like he
0: had been to a strip club uh, for six weeks like six months. Just like, where were you?
1: Yeah, I think our bass player said, well, the bass player is Frank. I think he said like, it, I look like a pixie exploded on me or something. But... <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> At least he was probably shining a little bit. Yeah, he, was, he looked really good in the lights.
0: <laughs> I mentioned the uh, drummer. We get this really good scene where he's like in the tub, and Rob Reiner's like interviewing him, and he's just kind of like, "You kind, you, you got to feel a little weird that all their drummers die, huh?" And he's just kind of like, eh, you know, I just figure it's the law of averages. Like it can't happen to everybody, right? Uh, we'll we'll pay that off later in the movie." <laughs> but <laughs> optimistic drummer. This guy's got a really good look too. He's really lanky and like yep. just very very British looking. I guess that's a good thing to bring up. I got no clue in this movie who's actually British and who isn't. Like, is Christopher Guest British? They're doing a really good job with their accents if they're not. Uh, I'm pretty impressed.
1: Yeah, you know, I think they're... Well, I'm not even saying... I was thinking they're all from the United States, but I could be very wrong. I so. I could be very wrong in that. I'm not sure on that. Um, Let's see here. Christopher Guest,
0: born in... Uh, is an American-British screenwriter, so I think he's British. Okay, but the other one I would be curious about is Michael McKean, because I can't imagine he's British. Uh, American actor, yeah, he's just that fucking just good. Mean, yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, born in New York City, baby. <laughs> All right. Yeah, he's doing a great job. Yeah, he pulls it I, off. I believed great. he was British. I was just like, I. Uh, but I mean, I also think like I assume around that time, that, like. The Beatles. Everyone's got a Beatles accent. I mean, that's essentially what they're doing. They're doing the Liverpool, yep. like they're they're going hard into the the Beatles thing. Uh, again, they mention uh, Walk Hard. I love that scene where the fake Beatles show up and it's just like Justin Long and Jason Schwartzman and them. Just we the Beatles of Liverpool. Yes, of course uh, we love your <laughs> album. Great record, Dewey. Great record. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I was just uh, looking here. Uh, Harry Shearer was born in california oh really he's and, doing a good job too and can you name who is christopher guest's spouse his spouse is he married to someone famous yep
0: uh gosh i don't uh, know
1: i'll give you a hint everything everywhere at want all at once
0: uh i mean like the lead is he married to michelle yo
1: nope <laughs> that jamie, would be cool
0: jamie lee oh, curtis he's, he married to jamie lee curtis Yep.
1: <laughs> wow
0: you know what's funny is uh I was watching the Siskel and Ebert review of this Spinal Tap. And right at the end, they didn't like do a great job of like cutting off the tail end of the review. And they were reviewing the next movie they were reviewing was this movie where Jamie Lee Curtis like seduces this older guy. <laughs> Uh, so there's a Siskel and Ebert movie movie review where they're doing This Is Spinal Tap and then some Jamie Lee Curtis movie. So I guess <laughs> it was go. kismet. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I didn't know they were together. What a power couple. Yep. Wow.
1: And it actually says they got married in 1984. So about the time This Is Spinal Tap came out.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So, I like Jamie Lee Curtis. She's great. Yeah. She's I need, awesome. I've, I've been meaning to do uh Blue Steel for the show. Mm. I want to do that movie. Yep. <laughs> uh That's, oh, wow. What a... What an interesting. <laughs> that must be a wild household. <laughs> they both look great these days too. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is funny to see them in their spinal tap get up as like older gentlemen. Cause it still kind of works because there are these like rock <laughs> musicians who've desperately hung on. So it's not like out of the ordinary to see an old dude, like um, not Alice Cooper who am I trying to think of? Who's the, uh, Aerosmith guy?
1: Oh, Steven Tyler.
0: Yeah. I feel like Steven Tyler is like the quintessential. He's still putting the makeup on and doing the long hair, even though he's like fucking 87. It's <laughs> <something. laughs> just like, yeah, I guess some of them still do it. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember someone saying like kiss, kiss got it right. They did the, the makeup and the wigs. They can just do that at nauseam forever. And you'll never know. They'll never look old. Cause they have face makeup on. Yep. <laughs> Genius. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a a weird plug in this movie, but uh, the movie role models.
1: No, I have not seen that.
0: Uh, There's like a a running gag in that movie where uh, Sean William Scott, he loves kiss. He's like, they're geniuses. It's these four Jewish guys from New York and they just dressed up as metal gods and got laid and stuff. It was awesome. Whatever. (laughs) I will say after I watched this is spinal tap for some reason I've been singing kiss songs today uh i've just been like
2: get up everybody's
0: gonna <laughs> leave this scene i'm like that's not spinal tap that's Kiss." Uh, but their music is so adjacent yeah yeah <laughs> it's like literally kiss music uh as someone that grew up watching detroit rock city that's like uh my heart <laughs> i'm not even a big kiss fan i just really like that particular movie mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um they're on a bus they're keyboardist is, like, playing a video game or something. <laughs> and David's stuck up front with his girlfriend. He's wearing this really goofy sweater. He's like, "So, babe, I was thinking I could take the sweat off, you know, since you're not done with it, and go back and sort of play the game. She's like, why do you want to go back there? He's just like, oh, I got the new game. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> she's just, like, absolutely breaking his balls. He's just, like, he wants to hang out with his bros, but she's here. There's, I think this is where Rob Reiner interviews her a little bit. Talks a little bit about... It's like, well, you know, who like decides the music taste? And he's kind of like, oh, you know, I run stuff by or whatever. She's like, yeah, I tell him if it sucks and if it doesn't. And she's just, like kind of breaking his balls a little bit. And you're like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> she's got like a lot of control here. Sort of just establishing that through line, uh, but in a funny way, a much funnier way than the way I'm describing it. Yeah.
1: Sure. <laughs> well, when you said, you know, Yoko Ono, that that is exactly who you think of when you watch that, mm-hmm. see that type of character. And she's really into astrology. <laughs> and horoscopes and yeah the sweater that david has on is like a moon or saturn or something and real astrological type stuff but yeah that's well you're reading you can read up here <laughs> it's like, well, I'd really like to going back <laughs>
0: <laughs> again there's just more groupies sometimes they get in he's like hey, this is blah, 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 and she's just like, hey. Uh, <laughs> again, I, I meant to mention this when we were talking about like low-budget filmmaking, but I do think this, I didn't look up what the budget was, but I know this was shot on like a pretty tight schedule. I think for not quite a lot of money, it's a, like a pretty low-budget film. And again, and it's interesting, I see this a lot in the uh, indie world, where you can kind of, by doing the mockumentary or the... Uh, what's the word for not mockumentary, but uh, what's the word for when everything's from like the camera's POV for a movie? Found footage. Yeah, the found footage. They're side, very yep. they're very popular genres because there's an inherent nature to them that if it doesn't look perfect and cinematic, that's okay. That's just the nature of what you're watching, and it is a very appealing route to go if you're making a movie for a low budget. I just always caution people to make sure they're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, And in this case, it's perfect. Like they're mimicking a rock documentary and it looks like a fucking rock documentary. And, and, but they get to make it for a really low budget. It's just a guy with a camera sticking a camera in people's faces while they talk. And even if like their shots were like, they look blown out and shit, but it's okay. It's like, that's just the nature of the documentary or whatever. So uh, I don't know why I'm starting talking about that. My next notes (laughs) just say guitarist on piano, which I think is just where he's showing Rob Reiner that song. I don't know what this note is. I just have a note that says, lick my love pump.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's playing the song and it's just a beautiful piece. And oh, yeah. He, and he says right. it's like a trilogy of something. And and Rob Reiner asked, well, what do you call it? Oh, lick my love pump. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful melody.
0: Piece. It's gorgeous. He's like, it's like, oh, what's it called? It like, lick my love pump. And I was just like, god damn it. <laughs> It's really good. Uh, we get an extended gag here where the bassist is trying to go through the metal detector and it, it just sort of all culminates with the lady sort of hovering around his crotch. He pulls out like a <laughs> cucumber wrapped in tinfoil or something like that. Uh, he's stuffing his drawers. They oh, yeah. they like their tight pants to have a nice bulge, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, from what I understand, there is another one of those cut scenes that would provide more context to that airport scene but it's still it's a kind of a gag that stands on its own because it 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 is funny but um leading up to it, a lot of the concert shots the camera would be down low and their crotch would always be like yeah right in the middle there's a lot of like
0: of the concert scenes where the camera is low angle on their dicks for like a while (laughs) and they even sort of reference it in that food court scene where they're like you know it looks like we've got armadillos stuffed in our pants it's quite frightening then he Uh, he pulls a cucumber or the zucchini (laughs) i think it is he's kind of like are he basically has this motion where he's like are you happy now and it's like well (laughs) i mean what are you doing (laughs) wrapped in tinfoil? (laughs) <laughs> why was it wrapped in tinfoil
1: <laughs> I, I don't know exactly why why they would have done that but
0: <laughs> uh, i think i think we get another concert here i think this is, the song was like heavy duty rock and roll my big note for this one is for some reason the keyboardist is just dressed as like a mental patient <laughs> no one else is dressed up it's just him And I I just was like, "What is they don't? They call no attention to it. It's just occasionally when they cut to him, he's just going nuts, and he's got like a straight jacket-looking outfit on, and he's like all dolled up. And I was like, something on
1: his head. And
0: yeah, I was like, okay, (laughs) no attention is called to this whatsoever. It just is a a fact of this concert. It's pretty wild. Uh, It kind of rolls immediately into them meeting this sort of a record store guy." And he's all like super enthusiastic to meet them. They're doing like an album signing the next day. Uh, Unfortunately, when we cut to the album signing the next day, and of course they're visually, it's great. They're just surrounded by all these blank black albums. uh, And this like crazy cutout poster of them. Nobody's there. This record store guy is great. Like he gets a really great run here where he's like, you know, this is my fault guys. You know what? You know, I want you to do me a favor. I'm going to bet and just kick me in the ass, kick me right in the ass. Uh, and just like bending over the record. Just get, just kick me in the ass. Uh,
1: Artie, <laughs> Artie Fufkin. I'm Artie Fufkin. That was <laughs> his name. Yeah, but that names are really good. That's another cameo right there. That is actually Paul Schaefer. Um, uh, he was the leader of the David Letterman band on CBS. Mm. So he's, a, he's a really good, I mean, he's mm. a expert musician, just great. But yeah, he, he plays that so great. That's Artie Fufkin, the, the <laughs> promoter. You have to just kick my ass. It was all my fault. Just kick my ass. It's just timing. It's all about timing. I just I messed up. Uh, he's trying
0: to like make him feel better. It is funny. There's a little bit of. Uh, it is because, you know, it's most of the concerts that they play, they seem to have an audience. So there's a bit of a rub of like, well, people seem to be showing up to their concerts, but the running gag is like, shows keep getting canceled and they're not very popular. I'm surprised that the audiences weren't more sparse. Uh but yeah. it just I don't know. <laughs>
1: yeah, that it that was a little off plot wise, but I guess <laughs> it's one of those things, but um you speak of the concert cancellations and me being from Iowa, I really caught this joke. Uh <laughs> De- Des Moines <laughs> yeah, or whatever Yeah, they even say is talking to his wife on the phone in the hotel room and he's telling her, you know, well, the St. Louis show was canceled and the Kansas City show was canceled and the Des Moines. Well, first of all, he pronounced Des Moines wrong. But then he yeah. goes, I don't know. It's in Indiana somewhere.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I caught that, too, because I, I guess that's a great double whammy for both of us. Because <laughs> like, not only does he pronounce Des Moines wrong, but he says it's in Indiana or yeah. something
1: like it doesn't matter. I was like, I'm from Indiana. You fuck. Uh, but no,
0: it's well, like- see, we always
1: get the thing. It's like <laughs> Iowa. Is that where they grow potatoes? Yeah, no, that's Idaho. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I said on your, when I came on your episode was, I've noticed Indiana gets referenced a lot in movies and I'm genuinely sure that it's just because it sounds good when you say yeah. it, like it, people just it's like rhythmic. to say Indiana. <laughs> yep, it's rhythmic. <laughs>
1: I even caught myself writing Indiana in a screenplay one time. Did you? I go, I, I have to change that just because what Jake said. So <laughs> It's good.
0: More Indiana love. I just can't actually make anything here because we got terrible tax laws, but whatever. Well, uh, yeah. And weed isn't legalized. We're like the only state that still is holding out on that. So, yay. Wait, uh, we're, we're right there with you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, we get a really good gag here where they're meant to play this concert. And they just get lost backstage. (laughs) They're just wandering around (laughs) for forever. They finally run across this repair guy. And he's like, yeah, you just go up there. You take a right. It says like uh, something only. It's like personnel only. He's like, you're personnel, right? You're the band. You you can go through there. (laughs) And then they circle around. They run into him again. Like, it's really good. (laughs) (laughs) All the time they're
1: walking through there, they're going... Yay Cleveland! Yay! Cleveland! Yeah,
0: they're like shouting out every time they pass the camera. They're like mugging for the camera, like they're still trying to stay peppy. It's it's
2: really good.
0: <laughs> There's like a moment here where they're I think they're like in a diner, and the girlfriend starts whining about how like she's like your album was just mixed wrong. That's what the problem is. And Nigel's like, what you, What's not mixed wrong? What the fuck are you talking about? Uh, they they're pitching new looks for the band. They have these drawings of them as like animals or something like that. And uh their manager's just like, This isn't we can't do this. What the fuck are you guys talking about? Uh and then this is where Nigel pitches uh Stonehenge. Uh so that'll be coming up soon. He's like, we'll do Stonehenge. We'll do a whole album about Stonehenge and the big old monument will come down and they're like, Yeah, this is what we'll do. This'll get us back on top somehow. I don't know how, but <laughs> um this is where we get that cutaway of uh Because I think Rob Reiner starts asking Nigel if he feels like he gets to be creatively fulfilled. This is where we see him doing the solo with the foot guitar and the violin and all that stuff. And then we, we, uh, Ian is presented with this Stonehenge model. He's like, oh, this is great. I can't wait to see, you know, when, you know, you have the actual model. And she's like, what? This is, I, I, you gave me this drawing. It said 18 inches and these, they get in like this big tiff. And you're just like, okay, how's this going to, play out so we just cut to the stonehenge concert they've got like hoods on they're given this like it's like very classic uh i I know a lot of bands like love to reference like lord of the rings in their lyrics and stuff like that it's sort of this vibe now where they're like in the ancient times this blah 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 and the hoods and they got like the eye makeup on and stuff and so they start singing and then eventually they reach what's supposed to be the climax of the song and this teeny stonehenge is lowered down to the stage and, and they clearly again it's like a visual gag but they clearly got these two little people to be dancers because i assume their logic was if we get little people it'll look bigger so we'll have them dance around it's like a pretty good it's a pretty crazy visual <laughs> gag, but <laughs> the band is just like what the fuck is going on but they uh, uh credit i mean credit to spinal tap they uh they have they seem to be able to plow through most things and keep going with the show. So, so props to them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, this, this whole Stonehenge arc is, is pretty
1: wild. <laughs> I love how they did the camera work in that. Cause they actually shot it. They were shooting Nigel at the time singing and you but the angle was up t- near the ceiling. So as they're lowering that Stonehenge monument, as they're lowering it, it still looks big just because of the camera angle they're using. Sure. You don't realize it until it gets down to the floor. That thing is only, only knee high on those short people dancing <laughs> around it. And, and they're getting tangled up in the wires that lowered it and the, the, the monuments flying around. But but going back to that restaurant scene, it's, it's funny because, you know, she's acting like an expert on what was mixed wrong. The, that's what the problem is with the album. You know, you can't mix heavy metal in Dublin they're like Dublin. What M- mix it in Dublin? What do you? Yeah, in Dublin you can't mix <laughs> it in Dublin. Do you mean Dolby? Oh yeah, Dolby. Yeah. Oh, so you're an expert on mixing. But <laughs> <laughs>
0: after this concert, they're arguing about Stonehenge. Ian's sort of being like, oh, "I'm just told what to do. You told me 18 inches. I made 18 inches." Blah blah. blah. The girlfriend steps up. They start sort of uh, hinting that the girlfriend should share responsibilities with Ian and stuff like that. And Ian's finally like, I'm not sharing. Fuck you guys. I quit. <laughs> he storms out. You get like a really funny aside where I can't remember if it's Nigel or uh, Smalls, but someone goes, you know, the real question is, are we still going to do the Stonehenge? Stuff in and they're like, no, we're not doing the fucking Stonehenge. <laughs> like, it's just like a really funny moment. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's, Der- that's Derek Smalls, a bass player. He just, yeah, he's just, he's, he's kind of that earnest. lukewarm water in the middle. Kind of, so he's we very earnestly like, like, so are we
0: still doing the Stonehenge <laughs> stuff? Uh, <laughs> but so yeah, Ian quits. He's outie. Uh, and so now the girlfriend's managing. They're at the airport. You get this like really chaotic scene where she's trying to. Uh, you've got your thing, you've got your thing. Well, I've already got my thing, I've got the handout, blah blah blah. <laughs> like, it's like I didn't write a lot of notes about this airport thing, but there's some like good back and forth for sure. David and Nigel argue, I think this is where we get the fire and ice, some lukewarm water yeah. stuff. She books them a gig at this military air hangar. Uh, this is where Fred Willard shows up, who I hinted at. Uh, well, and, I was watching, the- and
1: most of the band doesn't even know that. Until they're on the way to the show. They yeah, think going they to the get forum. there and they're just like, what? <laughs> what is this?
0: He's like, yeah, it's a gig I got nice. you. It's... <laughs> and Fred Willard is this military guy. He just gets to have a little run here. Like I said, I I watched a video, and you can even see it in the movie, where they're just kind of breaking because he's just deadpanning. And he's just like, he's like, oh, I'm pretty shaggy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little shaggy too. They might have they might, better not get too close. They might mistake <laughs> me as part of the band. You see the bass is like turn away from the camera because he starts laughing and stuff. It's just Fred Willer is just killing it here. Uh, almost uninterrupted.
1: <laughs> I, I'm a real fan of your music. Well, not yours specifically, but the genre, the genre. Yeah, <laughs> He's
0: got a lot of really good lines. Um, yeah. Sex farm woman at the military shindig. It's not going very well. I think this is where I, I I think this is where nigel slams his guitar down and walks off
1: yeah his wireless uh, starts picking up the the air tower and so the <laughs> uh, the flight instructions are coming through his wireless which is actually can happen <laughs> um when we used to play live we all had the wireless devices and we when we purchased them we had to make sure we were all on different frequencies because you can start picking up another guitar players and i think I think there are a couple of times that we could pick up like different radio stations or whatever. Sure. Radio yeah. talk just cause we hit that specific frequency, but yeah. I know <laughs> even with like
0: wireless mics, sometimes it's hard to like tune them in and they had to change the frequency. Like some of the older ones, you literally can't even use them anymore cause those frequencies aren't allowed and stuff. So, yeah. it, and then they do establish the wireless thing. Like there's a moment where he shows it off. So yeah. it kind of is like the setup and payoff thing, but essentially nigel like kind of quick quits the band and rob reiner's interviewing david and he's kind of like oh aren't you upset this is like your creative collaborator and he's like quitting and and david's kind of like you know i've worked with 737 people before and rob reiner's like i can't believe you're saying this you're lumping nigel in with these people and he's like you know i'm devastated but what can i say i'm under heavy sedation right now <laughs> and, like he this just, just, is like
1: very casually like yeah, I don't know, I'm drugged up right now. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, fuck Nigel. Uh, I'm, I'm sure it'd feel a lot different if I wasn't so heavily sedated. <laughs> it's, like, it's like one of my favorite lines in the movie. It's like. <laughs>
0: she books them another gig. They're, uh, <clears throat> they show up at this motel. It says, welcome, puppet show and Spinal Tap. And she's like, I told them a million times. And they're just like, oh, great, we're underneath the puppet show. Uh, we have this really weird scene where the bassist is talking to david and they're sort of being like you know what this is actually good we're having a down period but everyone goes through this and you know i want to do that jack the ripper musical saucy jack yeah this is good they're sort of like trying to pump each other up a little bit even though everything's pretty much going downhill now (laughs) uh it's also just shot in this weird space where it almost looks like they're on top of a skyscraper or something it's pretty wild uh just a little bit cinematic too but yeah, they have this Jack the Ripper conversation. <laughs> it's pretty wild. <laughs> Again, it it like, sounds terrible. Like it's like what do you,
1: this weird concept album. <laughs> well, yeah, they come out and they. Well, the the issue they were having was okay. They had just lost their lead guitar player. So what yeah. song? What songs can they do? That's not required. Well, you know they're asking the keyboard player. Can you cover the his bass line in Big Bottom? Because Big Bottom, all of them play bass. There's no guitars. It's it's yeah. all bass, keyboards, and drums. But they go well that gives us a solid 10 minutes. And they go, (laughs) you know what we do? We do a jazz odyssey. And so then they come out and the girl is in the band. Now she's playing tambourine in the band and, and, uh, very Yoko style. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then the bass player goes into a bass solo and he wrote this. Dun, dun, dun. dun. It just sounds horrible. (laughs) I think one of the funniest, the funniest cuts in that film is, they're talking about doing this jazz odyssey and David St. Hubbins goes jazz odyssey. There's no way I'm doing that in front of a festival crowd. And they cut right away to the crowd. And there's like just a smattering of people in the stands and and they're doing jazz odysseys. (laughs) There's
0: some really good cuts in the movie. (laughs) Uh, One of them's coming up here really soon. So they're, they're backstage getting ready for a show. I think they've changed their name to tap after they lost Nigel. They're just going by tap now because uh, they're not the full band anymore which is kind of a funny gag basically Nigel shows up and goes I just want to let you know you know Ian says he's interested and you guys one of our songs hit in Japan and they kind of wanted you to go on tour there and they're like, oh so you want back in the band uh, D- David's pretty shitty to him they have this kind of weirdly wholesome exchange though where he's just like, he's like do a good show alright and he's like yeah, okay and he like wanders up and they start playing nigel's on the side sort of nodding along he's mouthing the words david looks at him and he just kind of nods at him and invites him back up on stage they sort of reunite for some reason the crowd is like yeah it's him like they would know who it is or whatever <laughs> they, they seem to get excited so they're playing this song and we sort of zero in on the drummer and then it smash cuts to this completely different guy i can't remember what his name is and they're in japan they've gotten a new drummer so presumably that guy <laughs> ate it uh, it's it's a really good cut <laughs> but they're uh yeah they're touring in japan it seems to be going well they got a pretty hefty crowd that seems into it they're playing their songs we hit the credits and the credits are just like a lot of like sort of cutting room floor blooper type stuff yeah, as the they outtakes. you know give us our, our credits and all that and that's the end of the movie <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, and even in the end credits, they don't they're you know, like you say, they're kind of the excerpts of what they didn't use in the film, but they're all still straight ahead, dead Oh, Yeah, it. none of it's like, like them breaking around. No, they don't like break that. throughout the entire thing, which kind of gives the entire film its its kind of honesty or the the charm. The charm of the yeah, film yeah. is that. So
0: Yeah, we jumped around a lot, but here at the end, is there any uh, general feelings you want to say or is there anything I skipped over that you're like oh I really wanted to talk about this like th- this would be a great time to delve into that <laughs> Yeah, it's
1: it's just it's a fun film it does jump around because it is that documentary style you're jumping from interviews to concert footage and the cuts are perfect everything leads into the next thing perfectly but it's... very
0: fast film
1: I was shocked when yeah. I popped it in yeah. this movie's like 80 minutes long I'm yeah like, bang <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. And it moves along. It's just like you say, also the pace of the jokes. It's just bang, 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 bang. And you have to you have to watch it multiple times to catch everything. And I'm still yeah. seeing new stuff in it. But even with the documentary style, when you think about the film itself, it's still a story. You know, there's still a beginning, a middle and an end. You know, yeah, it shows there's a very and the, and they the did the job
0: with the relationships of the band and yep you really feel like you understand Nigel and David as dumb as they are. They have this relationship and there's a rise and fall. And when they break up, you're like, Oh no. And and all that stuff. So it's there, there are, there are like arcs
1: in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah. And they bring you along emotionally. You know, I think one of the, the harder scenes to watch in the film is when they're in the recording studio and David St. Hubbins is really struggling at playing and Nigel just goes off on him you know, well, you can't fucking play the guitar anymore. That's, that's your problem. He, and you know, the recording engineer is trying to hold them together. Well, will just play the part. Well, that's his problem. He can't play the part and just that argument in there. And, and that's painful to watch because I've been in those type of arguments during the sure. band days and seen those type of things. And it's, yeah, what they did with this film was they pulled everything. Like I've mentioned before, they pulled everything from the rock world and, threw it in this one pot this film called spinal tap and it's it's um kind of a good culmination of everything that could go wrong in the rock world back in the 80s
2: (laughs) that is a good
0: point though it is uh it feels like even uh, of all the collaborative pursuits that people can pursue that's a terrible sentence uh (laughs) but (laughs) it feels like musicians are the most ripe for these big breakups and and there must just be something very volatile about i mean i know the touring is hard on people having to spend you know months together crammed on a bus and in a tin can and being around each other but i feel like more than anything bands they get together and break up and get together and break up and so you're so right to point out that you have these moments in the movie and they're over the top and silly because the characters are so stupid, but there is something very real about a lot of the arguments that they have. I have to imagine anyone that's been in that world. Yeah. It's sort of a satire of that, but it also doesn't work unless there's an element of truth to it. And, and so I'm sure there's some people that watch this and go, kind of had that same argument with somebody
1: before. (laughs) Well, it's in, in the music world, it's a lot of, um, kind of like the janine character it's a lot of people are trying to insert themselves in the band so you have you know a five member band and you're a group you're this entity you know you may be a circle of friends well then all of a sudden you have all these other people as you start playing out they start latching on and they start talking in their ears you know well you're great it's actually they're messing things up and you have all these different people talking in your ears and um yeah that can really tear bands apart and they kind of show that with that Janine character inserting herself into the manager spot and then actually being on stage with them. Yeah. And then apparently helping them write songs and stuff. So
0: Yeah, that's such a good that's such a good point too. Uh they don't dwell on it as much in this movie, but there is a fascinating element to, you know, being a rock star or being a famous actor. There's a certain there's a certain element that eventually you become either jaded or used to a certain way of life or you have so many people around you that are gassing you up all the time that makes you feel like you're either invincible or you're right about everything and i think we've seen it time and time again where celebrities reach a certain point where they sort of detach from reality a little bit and you know it's it's captured weirdly well in that food scene where he's just like why can't they make good sandwiches and it's just like are you such a spoiled little brat you don't know how to like fold some yeah. meat into a, a a piece of bread or whatever you're just that stupid and uh it's just like it, it does it, it's like very much an element of this whole world yeah. you know especially the yes men and like you were saying the it's not you it's them they're the ones that are wrong and blah 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 and yep. it's not you guys fault. it's not his fault that the album was bad it's the the way it was mixed whoever mixed it did a terrible job and yep they dwell on stuff like that. Uh, it is like actually a really poignant and interesting commentary on that world.
1: Well, and then you have even the hotel lobby scene, you know, they're standing there looking at all those maps or pamphlets and yeah. those girls comes running in screaming and they, Oh, here they come. Here they come. Yeah. Now, yeah get yeah. ready, And the girls run to the singer of this other band and it's, you can just see the instant let down the spinal yeah. tap. And it's, you know, that, it's kind of the epitome of the entire film right there. They were great. People loved them. <laughs> and they're dealing with that. They're not wanted anymore. They're, pl- they're having to play second fiddle. Yeah.
0: You know, and it's not parts. touched on it. I didn't even necessarily super pick up on this element, but they are all meant to sort of be a little old for what they're doing too. Yeah. Right. Like, this is being a metal band in the eighties felt like a very young man's game and i think these guys are all sort of meant to kind of be in their 40s and stuff so there's that extra layer of like well i don't know if you guys should be even doing this yeah. <laughs> but there's like an addiction to the lifestyle and they don't know anything else i skipped over it but there's a really i think it's in the bloopers maybe uh where rob reiner's it might even be what they close essentially the movie out with they close the credits with or he's asking him like oh is there any other job you feel like he could have pursued he's like i feel like i could have you know worked in a hat store a hat store okay like what do you say he's like oh you know what's your hat size uh, seven and a quarter and eh, yeah we don't we don't have that in mate. he's like yeah i could i could have done that he's like would you have preferred that he's like i don't know what are the hours or whatever it's like this guy's like not even passionate about the music he's like oh what hours would i work at the hat store i guess i could uh it's just, just this weird thing
1: <laughs> did you did you catch it during that I thought it was really interesting, and I didn't notice this till recently when I've been watching the movie, is Rob Reiner tries to move on with the interview and ta- ask him other questions, and Nigel keeps interrupting him with, oh, do you, we don't have that in that size. You know, he comes, <laughs> keeps coming back to the haberdashery question, you know, and Rob Reiner's trying to move on, and well, would you wear it in black? You know, it's, like... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good, it is a good
0: mark of like good improvisers though, where everyone's that's even like dabbled in improvising knows like uh, yes. And is like the classic phrase, but that's not the end all be all of, of improv. Like good improv is knowing when to stick on a topic, when to move on, when to pretend that you're trying to move on, but you trying to move on is what makes the guy being stuck on that topic actually funny uh you know because like i feel like and i I didn't say i feel like i didn't say it enough in this episode like the fact that most of this is improvised is incredibly impressive and it's really well done and yeah they have like hours and hours of footage and they cut down to the best bits but still the fact this movie feels like it has a through line and it feels so consistent is is a real testament to their abilities Uh, and, and it's really well done and not only as musicians but as improvisers in general uh, it's pretty, it's pretty wild yep. <laughs> to the point yep. where I think, I think people, if they don't do like any research on this film, don't even know that it was mostly improvised. Right. Cause it doesn't even necessarily feel like it was, uh, which is kind of the mark of really good improvisation. <laughs>
1: well, that's, you know, they're listed, you know, those uh, four Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, Harry Shear, and Rob Ryan are listed. They're listed as writers on the project but it's like, okay, how much writing actually happened? (laughs) Basic basic premise and ideas. And like,
0: obviously they set certain scenes up. Like you have to be like, oh yeah, this is the scene where the albums arrive or whatever, but they're just kind of riffing around that. Uh, But it works, you know, and I'm not necessarily, I've pushed back these days against the more Judd Apatowee. Let's put them in a medium shot and just have them riff or whatever type stuff. But this is like the good riffing where they're staying on topic. It fits within the theme. It's coming from the characters. It's not just yep. them spitting random jokes out. It's like all playing into itself, like good improv should be. <laughs> you- and, and not like this more modern y. Let's just put Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler in front of a camera and they'll just like say shit that has nothing to do with what's going on. But I guess it's funny. I'm using heavy air quotations <laughs> right now, but uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Do you think that the reason the improv is so successful in this film is that because it was shot in a documentary style. So they're just having to basically be those characters. Basically right. you were Nigel, just be Nigel. And we're yeah, gonna I, ask think you questions. Two, I think
0: the two big elements at play here are they're so committed to being these characters and also from what I understand, they basically spent almost a year like gestating on this stuff. They spent a year coming up with the band's background. It was like they knew like when we're in these scenes, this is our history. We were this band, and then we became this, and this is our discography. And so they they like put in the work to build the characters' backstories so that when they were in the scenes, they could just be those characters and they had a well to like draw from. So they put in the work and that's the kind of stuff where that's not the stuff that necessarily costs money, the the prep, the prep time, you know? And so they're, they're putting in that work to go the extra mile and it really does pay off. Uh, they're committed to these characters to this day when they show up as spinal tap, they don't break character. Uh, yeah. they're that hardcore about it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty damn impressive. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, when, when you start releasing, you know, actual albums to go along with the film. And I think they have two albums out if I remember right, but and then, you know, they have live broadcast concerts and yeah, it's, they've, they've lived this. You know, so <laughs> yeah. It's like,
0: it must be wild.
1: Yeah. But it looks Especially like, for, it looks like they're having
0: so much fun. <laughs> oh yeah. Like it's just, it's gotta be a blast having, having friends that you're this close with that you just, you basically have had a running gag for over 40 years now where you're just like, yeah, we just be these characters. Sometimes we're these ditzy Brits who, oh, one one of Britain's loudest bands, <laughs> <laughs> not best or anything, just loudest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good gag. But yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's the movie. I, I always tell guests, like, you don't have to rate it if you don't want to, but you're welcome to. Uh, you're also welcome to just say, hey, I recommend it. I don't. Uh, totally up to you. Your call.
1: Wow, <laughs> what would I rate it like on a like on a scale of one to ten? Or yeah, I mean it's it's hard to ask
0: that. Like when I have a guest on who says like yeah, this is routinely in the conversation as my top three favorite movie of all time. I'm like, what else is it but a ten out of ten for you? I assume so. It's kind of an arbitrary question, I suppose. But yeah, so I just I like to give people the opportunity just because I'm about to throw a rating out. And so I'm just like, yeah, yeah. But when you say it's like one of your favorite movies of all time, I think people, I think people get the score.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's up there um, because it does rotate occasionally up to the third spot uh, for me, but I would say I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. Oh, wow. Um, And I know I'm, 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 I feel like, I feel like I should give it a 10 out of 10, but I'm going to,
0: It feels like more of a. Sounds like you're giving it more of an objective rating rather than. This is my favorite thing.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it holds so much charm and love for me because I was not in that specific world, but in the music world, and saw a lot of those same type of things. So it it holds a perfect charm for me and um, resonates with me Mm -hmm. highly. But um, as far as a technical film, I mean I'll, I'll get more out of other films technically that, that I resonate with, but mm, yeah, I'm going to go objectively and go with an eight out of 10, but I highly recommend if you have not seen it, definitely see it
0: for sure. And I think that with this movie, this was a very classic case of, Oh, as I'm watching, I'm watching it. Okay. I see where so many movies have taken elements of this and incorporated it into what they do. The problem with being, uh, more in the, I'm not more into modern film but just my stuff that I watched growing up I'm watching the stuff that was influenced by this and sometimes I prefer the iterations or the progressions or whatever I'm watching this movie and I'm chuckling I think it's very funny talking through some of the gags I was like this movie is really funny actually <laughs> it's like a mile a minute jokes and ra- rapid fire the visual gags the characters it is very much a great comedy it also deserves a lot of respect for being sort of the progenitor of the mockumentary i don't necessarily know if we don't get this if we get to the off we don't get the office or not but there's a case that could be made that without this spinal tap we don't get this uh rise of the fake interview fake crew following people around stuff and i mean People fucking love The Office and Parks and Rec. Uh-huh. And I mean, this is sort of our genesis of this genre. Uh, without the success of this Spinal Tap, I don't know if, if this genre has legs. And so it deserves a lot of credit for that. It's really well made. I love Rob Reiner as a director. I am not as familiar with a lot of, especially Christopher Guest. But I mean, from what I've seen, the dude's great. Uh, that being said, I wasn't like head over heels about it and but it is good the songs are good the the comedy's good um if people have never listened before and i'm sure some people have beca- uh haven't because like maybe you're tuning in because you're a fan or friend of kevin's and you're oh, he's on <laughs> podcast to listen to it uh, on my show i have a bit of a grading curve um i'm hard on movies because theoretically i'm watching some of the best movies of all time yep. for my go-to example is in the very first episode i set the bar I did The Godfather. I gave The Godfather an 8.5 out of 10. I think that's a 10 out of 10 movie. I think it's a great movie, but on my show it's an 8.5. So that's sort of where the bar is. Okay. So what does that mean for this is Spinal Tap? When I finished it last night, I was kind of like, "Okay, that was good. I like that." But then like going through some of the videos today, rewatching some of the scenes and especially like talking about it, it's gone up a couple notches in my head. I'm already thinking of it very favorably. Uh, I think I'm gonna lock it in at a very solid seven out of ten, uh, which for this show is actually a pretty damn good score. Uh, <laughs> seven out of ten on a show where The Godfather's an eight point five. Not bad. Yeah, not-, not bad at all. <laughs> I'd say. Uh, I quite enjoyed the movie. I'm actually excited to like go back and watch it a couple more times and pick up on some of the stuff I watch. It's a fucking breeze. Literally, oh, yeah. this movie is 80 minutes long. I was like, when I went to put it on last night, I was like, holy shit, what a godsend. That just Sometimes when you're watching a lot of movies for the show, it's just like, like if you if you come across like a two and a half hour movie, you're just like, Jesus Christ, why? <laughs> and maybe the movie justifies it, but when you get a movie like this to 80 minutes, it's just like, I was already going in uh, with, with favorable intentions for sure. <laughs> but yeah, it was a good movie. Uh, I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. Good. Honestly, could could go up as I watch it more. But it's also one of those things where it's been iterated on so much that I'm like, ah, oh, but I do like walk hard and stuff and i kind of like where they go with it and things like that so it's it's kind of complicated but it's a very classic case of it deserves all the respect that it gets and the people that grew up watching it that think it think it's the funniest movie of all time i get it i totally do (laughs) Uh, i I don't even disagree with that so yeah seven out of ten i think uh second to last but not least uh recommendations is there anything you'd like to recommend to people
1: Um. well i mentioned it earlier but Go out on YouTube and check out Spinal Tap live at the Royal Albert Hall. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great concert. But another one, this one is more depressing. This is definitely not a comedy, <laughs> uh, but it is along the same lines. Uh, it's a doc. It's a real documentary. Anvil. If you uh, grew up in the '80s, you've heard of Anvil, and it's actually called Anvil: The Story of Anvil. They're a Canadian hard rock heavy metal band, and it's they they kind of go along with the the lead singer of this band and it's been a while since i watched it but what i remember was it was really depressing um <laughs> so check it out <laughs> but um it it's it's kind of the other end of the spectrum from spinal tap although still dealing with the real aspects of it they're he's trying to hold on to a career trying to still make a name for anvil you know living off the past as much as he can and trying to get new music out there. And, and it just follows along with them. And it's, uh, being a musician, you can feel the pain, but that's kind of, again, it resonated with me being through some of that stuff and seeing other people close go through that. And so if you're, you know, musicians or if you like music, um, check out Anvil, the story of Anvil. Yeah.
0: I'd never heard of that before, but it sounds really interesting. I, I feel bad because uh, documentary is something that I haven't spent as much time as I should on. Like When it comes to documentary, my go-to is to just be like, yeah, I saw American Movie and I love that movie. So I always <laughs> recommend that, especially if you're a filmmaker. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that's a yeah. great movie to watch just because it's simultaneously the most depressing thing you'll ever see, but also weirdly inspiring. Yeah. Um, so as far as documentary, I would chip in American Movie. Um, as far as like adjacent to this movie... I've mentioned walk hard a couple times. I do think it's a, a weirdly decent companion piece to this film. Uh, I think that movie is really funny. Uh, maybe it's not everybody's speed, but I, I think it's really well done. And uh, I will say probably one of my favorite documentaries is the movie drop dead gorgeous, which is about a beauty pageant in, in Dakota. Uh, and, and the cast is like, much like this movie it's stacked like kirsten dunst and ellen barkin and denise richards and just Brittany murphy it's like a great cast it's this really small town in in like north dakota doing this beauty pageant and this documentary crew is just following them around and i think this movie is really funny i noticed when i looked it up it didn't have like the highest ratings but then on letterboxd it had a pretty high rating so i think the i think the connoisseurs have come to appreciate this film for what it is like maybe it was one of those movies that didn't quite hit right for some people because they do play everything super straight. Like it plays it like it's all for real and serious, even though you're seeing, you know, Kirsten Dunst and stuff, which obviously is going to tip your hand a little bit that maybe this isn't a real <laughs> movie about a beauty pageant. But for me, it's, it's worth the price of admission just for the really deep to cold accents that everybody's doing. Oh, you're cute. <laughs> I you catch this in your mouth. i give you a present uh <laughs> oh one of my favorite moments is this is not oh it's a little bit spoilery i'm not going to explain the context of it but kirsten dunce shows up somewhere and she's like i am the contestant from uh north falls dakota and the lady's like oh funny you don't look dead uh and she just laughs hysterically it's so good uh, <laughs> i like that movie a lot and i had a, i actually had a college professor who on her Facebook page had that movie listed as like her favorite movie and I was was like validation somebody else <laughs> likes this movie uh so yeah if you like a mockumentary I think you can't go wrong with Drop Dead gorgeous I think that movie is really funny um, and I'll, I'll go back to it occasionally it's just yeah it's just it's one I saw when I was young I grew up with it or whatever but yeah I think I think that is about as good of a recommendation as I'll get <laughs> uh, and anything else we discussed over the course of the ep- episode Rockstar Detroit Rock City, it's it's all the uh, c- uh, the decline of Western civilization. Oh yeah. Like, yep. If you if you want to watch the real version of this, the Spinal Tap, you can <laughs> you can watch that. Um, Definitely. <laughs> but yeah. So last but not least, though, uh, is there anything you'd like to plug to the people where where they can find you, what you want to send them to, anything anything to drive people towards stuff.
1: <laughs> well, uh, easiest way to uh, find me is at ilikeikefilms.com. Again, that's i like ilikeikefilms.com. Um, our short film, Pre-Existing, is out on YouTube right now. It had a real successful run about over the last year. A uh, good festival run. And now it's out on YouTube for everybody to check out. We are currently in post-production on another short film called Lex Talionis. We are working on a documentary about Hob Mason, who... Another musician is a North, oh, Iowa, very cool. North Iowa jazz musician. So we've been interviewing people that played with him and were close to him and uh, some members of his family. And uh, we are in pre-production on Until the Music Fades, which again ties into music. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Country music, but uh, still, still ties in with music. And so we start shooting that in August. We have just a great cast uh, for that. Uh, very talented cast, and I'm really excited to get working on that. Talented crew, um, some of the same people I worked with on pre-existing.
0: That's so cool. Until the music fades, great title too. Just, just a really good title. <laughs>
2: thank you. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: I, I feel like it, given what I've read about the synopsis of the film, and it just, yeah, it like sticks in your mind, and also just fits the themes really appropriately. So, well, uh, people should do themselves a favor and look that up and get hyped for. I mean movie making takes a lot. If you're shooting in August, it might be well over a year before we see anything from it, but it's it's gonna be worth looking out for. And people can tide themselves over in the meantime by looking up those films you mentioned. And then you have a great what your website just is like I likefilms.com or yeah. I like like yep. films.com, right? Yep. Yeah, so you got a great website that people can go to too. Is there any last
1: thoughts plugs anything before we get out of here I, I think that's it i'm i was so happy to see this as final tap on your list of films that you wanted to talk about <laughs> uh because i don't think it gets talked about enough and i it's it's one that's yeah, it, close to my heart it seems heart, like a shame because
0: so. it's just it's so inspirational
1: yeah.
0: uh even if you don't realize it the things you watch have been influenced by it and so it's always great to go back and see where some of the st- stuff came from and ha- where it was yeah. Uh, crystallized and maybe even sometimes done better in yeah. certain aspects. Just the commitment to the bit and the fast jokes and just, yeah, there, there's a lot to like. Uh, I'm really glad after years and years of having this on my shelf to finally, finally knock this one off the list and just, I don't know. It's wild. Cause I had, you know, a couple ideas of what it was about, but it's still just, it never really was. It's not something that was ever really spoiled for me. Everything felt fresh and interesting and new to watch and so i'm just i'm glad you suggested it i i i had a good time with it i feel like even just talking about some of the films you like i'm already like well gotta have you back on for where brother art thou and there we go all these other ones too so because that's another one that i really really need to knock off the list is people fucking love that movie and i've never seen it i just know george clooney's in it and i think they sing at some point Yep, there's Uh, some good music in it (laughs) yeah it's about all i got so i I gotta get that one too Uh, but thank you so much for being so generous with your time thank you you. for coming on and thanks for suggesting this movie it was great to finally have you on my show after getting to do your amazing show which i will also (laughs) plug guys uh if you know me and you've never listened to cinematic heartland what a great entry point you can go listen to me talk even more on kevin's show and then listen to the rest of his stuff and learn about awesome filmmakers here in the heartland uh but yeah i thank you so much and i guess that's Yeah, I guess that's it. I guess it's going to do it for us here on the show. Well, thank you, Jake. I I had a
1: blast. I really appreciate you asking me to come on the show.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Uh, As I unfortunately always say at the end of every episode, I will catch you guys on the flip-flop later. Bye, guys.